legend, Larry Zabisco. And as we look through the crowd here, and as we look through the crowd, the past two weeks we had seen Sting. But tonight we have not seen Sting as of yet. What is going on in this man's mind? I don't know, but we've already searched the rafters. We've had teams of security crews go through every nick and crevice. Sting has not been seen in the building. I mean, we know the man's in limbo, Tony. Maybe he just ran out of all intestinal fortitude. I don't know. Speaking of intestinal fortitude, the question is, we don't think Hulk Hogan has it when it concerns Rowdy Roddy Piper. For the past couple of weeks, as you know, Eric Bischoff, World Championship Wrestling, attempting to sign which would be the match of the decade between the two biggest icons in the sport. It's the match we all want to see, including yourself, Larry, Hulk Hogan and Rowdy Roddy Piper. I'm going to be at ringside if that one is ever signed, but again, all speculation, Tony. Tell you, we have a tremendous program, including a match in the tournament to decide a WCW Ladies Champion. Some of the superstars from Mexico will be here. And our opening bout tonight is going to be a classic between Jeff Jarrett and a member of the Four Horsemen, Chris Benoit. Do you remember last week? Yeah, what it's going to be is for Jeff Jarrett, a baptism of fire. Steve McMichaels, Chris Benoit. I don't think they're willing to accept him into the fold yet, even though Ric Flair gave him the blessing. Jeff Jarrett has to prove himself. As we showed you last week. Welcome to Where the Big Boys Play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro. Our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, it's my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. How are you doing this week, Dave? I am doing well. It is uh, it's sunny out. It's just before we're going to get like another pounding of snow, which is insane. Uh, insane and for the first time in months i am coming here after being at work which is uh, a nice change because uh, i don't know i mean for the people out there that have been listening to the show that have been unemployed uh, being unemployed sucks and now it's really nice i actually have to get up and uh, do some stuff and make some money so i'm yeah. feeling pretty good right now you strapped on your job helmet you got in your job cabin and you fired yourself off to the land of jobs where jobs grow on little jobbies <laughs> right to sort of paraphrase, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. And uh, coincidence has it, uh, you and I live maybe like, I don't know, 13 or so miles apart. Mm -hmm. You work like a half mile from my house. Yes. It's perfect. <laughs> right. And I'm getting, I'm getting like uh, used to all the, like, the different like places you have to eat here. Yeah. Like it has, you have a great, really great variety actually. Yeah. Uh, so uh, depending on where you live in the world or the country, you may or may not be familiar with the chicken finger joint raising canes. Mm -hmm. uh, there's maybe like three of them in Minnesota and one of them happens to be real close to my house. So I was, uh, I tipped you onto that and uh, I believe you gave it a positive review. You were happy with the canes. Yeah. I had it today too. Oh, it's delicious. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, well, yeah, we are uh, recording. We won't talk about it too much because, again, you could be listening to this in a few years just wanting to hear our thoughts on all the Nitros. But we are recording this the day after WrestleMania 35, mm -hmm. uh, the historic women's main event uh, with, with Becky Lynch defeating Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair to become a uh, unified champion I guess, or mm -hmm. champion. Of, I, don't, I don't think they're unifying it, so yeah. I guess she's just double champion right now. Becky, two belts. Uh, we had the big Kofi win that... Um, 
you know it wasn't it was something that i was looking forward to mm-hmm. but it wasn't until the like package before the match where like all of a sudden i was like holy shit i'm really invested in this yeah. like i didn't feel that level of investment until one of those just expertly produced wwe packages um and then just the job that he and daniel bryan did getting into the match and his Dan- struggle it was amazing daniel bryan made him look like a million bucks yeah you know like I, I I think Kofi is a very good wrestler. I don't think he is like an all-time great in the yeah. ring, but uh, Daniel Bryan made him look like a superstar. Like the, just the way the match played out was was beautiful and the ending, it's just it's it, every not only is it like I feel like it's going to be like an iconic moment for WWE, yeah. but it felt so organic and not like some like really con- like uh contrived sort of thing that wwe put together right although hawking the t-shirts was a little bit <laughs> but that's that's uh i think someone online said it's like you know it's just that's the way wrestlers are they got to kind of do the carny act no matter yeah. what so. yeah uh well uh to tie it to wcw uh there was one thing in the show that you could definitively use to tie it and that was uh the appearance of the outsiders Mm-hmm. Uh, in a little sketch where Kevin Nash really made it sound like he wanted to inspect Colin Joe's butthole. Yeah, and uh, Nature Boy Ric Flair. Oh, that's true, yes. He Flair. showed up as well. Um, he was involved in uh, Triple H's annual 30-minute-plus yes. uh, ode to himself. Right. <laughs> um, the former owner of WCW, Shane McMahon, had a match as well. <laughs> yes, so. that's true. So many connections so, I have considered. So. So many connections. Booker T was a well, commentator Heat, on the show. Harlem Heat made the the Hall of Fame. That's you know, true. Harlem That's Heat, true. who n- literally never wrestled in WWE, whose entire contributions are in WCW, and uh, and as you pointed out, uh, they have a pretty sweet ass shirt coming out for yeah. the Hall of Fame. Yeah, they've got an incredible. They released these Hall of Fame T-shirts, and the Har- Harlem Heat Hall of Fame T-shirt is incredible. Uh, I pre-ordered. I got news like. Once the Hall of Fame hit, because I think they want people that go to have the first ability to buy at the merch stand. Yeah. So I think it was Sunday morning I actually got a notification that my shirt had shipped. So I'm looking forward to that arriving here. And you could tell you could tell it's an amazing shirt because those awful, awful tag team titles look good in it. <laughs> and that's that's a lot of work to make those things look nice. But of course, we're not here to talk uh, jibber jabber all day about WrestleMania 35. Maybe we'll talk about it a little more in in our worldwide edition. Yeah. Bonus show. Uh, but today we want to talk to you about Nitro. And before we do that, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. And of course, you can always email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Now, today is, of course, November 11th, 1996. And we are coming to you live from the Bayfront Arena in St. Petersburg, Florida, in front of about 3,800 fans for a total gate of $49,230. The last time that we were in this building was Super Brawl 96, best remembered for the I Respect You Booker Man Mm -hmm. uh, incident. Yep. Now, this was the 61st episode of WCW Monday Nitro, and we are two weeks away from the World War III pay-per-view. Now, it is Nitro time again, exclaims Tony Schiavone, as he welcomes us to the show, complete with Pyro and Ballyhoo. Tony is dressed normally, and Larry has decided that being in Florida is an excuse to wear a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. As they do their normal stand-up and uh, welcome us to the show, a fan appears behind them, holding up a package of some kind. After a moment, security gets on the guy and escorts him away. 
Tony looks over at the guy only briefly, and he and Larry act as if nothing had happened. Uh, so presumably inside was a tape showing DDP's benefactor and a printed bracket of the NWO tag team tournament. Oh, yeah, finally. <laughs> That's, I assume, what he was trying to hand off. Yes. <laughs> uh, now, we'll see, spoiler alert, later in the show that this was a work. This this is a part of a storyline. Mm-hmm. The way it played off in the very beginning, I thought it was completely legit. They they got me. Because they the way that they, Tony only looks at him once, and they don't say anything, and he's just like, huh. And you just see security dealing with this a-hole guy and you're like yeah i was like i had written kind of like a few jokes about a fan like trying to hand them a package and and that ddp line was kind of a remnant of my original paragraph (laughs) and then later in the show it turned out that it was part of the story i was like oh they completely got me i had no idea (laughs) yeah um another thing just uh, for a note um tony Schiavone does mention that we have uh, a continuation of the tournament for the wcw women's championship yes and he again calls it the ladies championship he does i he probably does every time if i was paying attention i bet i i don't remember but it's just it's it's a championship title just get the name of it right we should double check that it's not the ladies championship because i wouldn't put that past the wcw no it was definitely the women's championship. okay okay, that's something that i made i i made sure to check (laughs) because when i was uh doing kind of like finding good pictures of the sure yeah Uh, Sting is apparently nowhere in the building this week, according to Tony Schiavone, and they have searched the entire arena to be sure. No deal has yet been made for a Hogan-Piper rematch, but Eric Bischoff is still working on it. As Dave said, the WCW Women's Champion Tournament is going to continue, and Tony says that some lady stars from Mexico will be here tonight, uh, but that our opening match is going to be Jeff Jarrett versus Chris Benoit as some kind of baptism by fire by the remaining horsemen who don't care that Jeff Jarrett has Ric Flair's endorsement. Mm-hmm. We see replays of Jarrett's promo from last week where he called himself the lead horse and acted like part of the group until Benoit and Mongo said otherwise. Out comes Benoit, accompanied by woman, and then Jarrett, who is annoyingly billed as being from Music City, USA. Yeah. I'm uh, sure that that was probably the case always, right? I just like in WWF, he was billed from Music City. Do you remember? Um, either that, or they, or they just thought like saying Nashville also yeah. kind of gets that rise out of people. Music City, I was just yeah. like his gimmick isn't even that he's a country singer and de- like that's not really a part of the thing anymore. Let, let it yeah. go. And it's and even like in today in today's like wrestling, uh, Charlotte Flair goes by that she's from the Queen City. Yeah, that one doesn't bother me because uh, if you build her as Charlotte from Charlotte, yeah, I don't know uh, that it's just like I get it because it's doubling up the name and it, it. I don't know. It doesn't bother me to the same degree, but probably just because everything Jeff Jarrett does <laughs> bothers yeah. me to some degree. Um, I just wanted to make a correction from last week uh, yeah. because they did show this week. They showed a replay of that uh, interview, like you were saying, with yeah. uh, Jarrett and Benoit. Uh, I just want to note that Mongo. Uh, I had said that he called Mike Tanay a zipperhead, but in fact, he calls Jeff Jarrett a zipperhead. I, I'm not. It's unclear. I'd say it's unclear. Or is he calling everyone a zipperhead? <laughs> aren't Aren't we all in our own way zipperheads? <laughs> Maybe in the world of Mongo, <laughs> I I think it's he's surrounded by zipperheads because he's addressing Jeff Jarrett, and then he does say the line that ends in zipperhead. But you could really interpret it either way. Maybe I, I think it gives enough to the character of Jeff Jarrett to have plausible deniability why he doesn't stand up for himself. <laughs> I think it's like enough where he could be like, oh, I thought that part was for Tanae. And I'd be like, eh, okay, fair. Or, or he's like, 
ah, he's just kidding because we're friends. <laughs> yes, it totally <laughs> seems like that. <laughs> we're going to go hang out later, so it's fine. Before the match, we get an inset promo from Jimmy Hart and the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan. Hart tells Woman that one phone call could have stopped this whole match. Sullivan asks Benoit about that, quote, burning sensation, the desire Benoit has, and the sweet nothings that he hears, saying he once heard those same nothings. Sullivan then says that sweet nothings are going to drag Benoit around Baltimore because Sullivan is still the man. Sullivan has now asked after Benoit's burning desire and promised his sweet nothings will see Benoit in the bathroom in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And this is a strange feud. (laughs) Right. (laughs) When I heard Birdie Sensation, I'm like, does he know something? (laughs) Yeah, if you've got the same burning sensation as me, uh, you need to get (laughs) tested. (laughs) Right. I'm not trying to get in your business, but it is serious. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, we're enemies, but on this thing... I'm just going to level with you. Look, we're bros, right? (laughs) Right. Could we just be bros for a minute here? We're Eskimo brothers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) uh, By the way, I'm just, I don't, I just don't buy Kevin Sullivan as like serious, you know, especially since he's still wearing that goofy, like bathrobe, which it looks like a bathrobe. It doesn't look like, uh, you know, a walkout, like. (laughs) Sure. It undercuts the seriousness of his message, for sure. Not only that, but it's like he he's always standing next to Jimmy Hart, who looks taller than he is. And Jimmy Hart's wearing, like, an airbrush shirt and holding a megaphone, which... <laughs> right. Listen, this is very serious. It's not an air of gravitas that he necessarily uh, lends to the proceedings. Right. And it's just, it's like, week after week, all they're going to do is, like, have, have these, like... Illusion, illusions to things. Right, yes. And it's like, you know what we're talking about, and everyone watching is like, no, you have never explained this. Right. And if I wanted, if I was starting to get a hint of it, I, it's not 2019 where I can grab my phone and bring up Wikipedia and be like, Kevin Sullivan's spouse. Oh, okay, now it makes sense. <laughs> right. Like, I'd have to go to my computer. I'd have to pull the ripcord to start the engine. Yep. I'd have to <laughs> prime it probably a few times. Get the, get the, um, Internet dial tone going. Yeah, then gonna get that nice uh, fax sound as it reaches America online. Then I go to keyword <laughs> WCW, and all I'm gonna get is their kayfabe bios. I'm not gonna get like who Kevin Sullivan's real wife is. Yeah, because I have to type in wcwwrestling.com. <laughs> yes, and I'll just like kind of groan as I'm waiting for it to load. <laughs> I think uh, it groans as it loads. Like yeah. it's a load bearing code uh, in there. You got to let the website settle for a minute before you (laughs) click any of the links. The bell rings and Benoit works in the arm of Jarrett for a moment. They lock up again and chain wrestle a bit as Shivani welcomes referee Jimmy Jett back to WCW. Indeed, he's refing this one. Uh, We never got a reason why he was fired. It was something that Meltzer just mentioned. uh, Once they hired Mark Curtis, he was like, they did that because they had to fire Jimmy Jett. And now he's just back and... I don't know if we're ever going to get the story of exactly what happened. Well, but. didn't didn't he object to refereeing a match on a previous Nitro? Not that I'm recalling. I, I felt like, or I thought that he was part of like um, uh, the Randy Anderson, Nick Patrick. Remember that he, didn't he hand the, uh, like a, or am I talking about something? That's You're talking future? about in the future. No. You've jumped ahead. Oh no. You're Marty, get the DeLorean. <laughs> Find Doc Brown. <laughs> well, listen. You're going to want to head to the Enchantment Under the Sea Dance. <laughs> when you're there, look for Jimmy Jet. <laughs> right. 
No, he is. There was no storyline explanation. Jimmy Jet was like okay. the least involved in storylines as uh, the, of any of the refs that we've seen. Mm-hmm. He was literally just a bland ref. Uh, one of the more competent ones. Uh, he doesn't make like a big show of himself, and he's not fucking up all the time. That's probably what got him fired. <laughs> yeah, they're like, listen, kid, you gotta make a show of yourself out there. <laughs> he doesn't have the uh, like. I think Mark Curtis is our best ref right now, um, but like. He doesn't have uh, Mark Curtis has a lot of flair. Like he mm-hmm. he makes himself a little bit of a spectacle. Yeah, Jimmy Jet like just refs the match and fades into the background. Yeah, and he looks like a referee too. He does. He's he the does. most referee looking guy I've ever seen. <laughs> After a successful reversal, Jarrett struts a bit, and Benoit watches angrily. Let's assume <laughs> right. You with a Greco-Roman knuckle lock applied, Benoit kicks Jarrett in the gut, then ties him up from behind until. Jer- until Jarrett reverses their positions. This continues a bit, and we see Woman telling the camera that there's only four horsemen, and Jeff isn't one of them. Hmm. In the ring, more chain reversals ensue until Benoit catches Jarrett with a right hand. He follows with more strikes and an Irish whip, but Jarrett reverses and catches Benoit with a drop toehold out of the corner, and we go to commercial break as Jarrett walks down Benoit's back with his arms held high. We come back, and Jarrett is still in control as he slaps Benoit to the mat. Benoit takes exception and levels Jarrett with a huge right hand, then lays in some more punches on the mat. Jarrett rolls him over, and the two take turns pummeling each other. They're kind of trying to sell it like uh, like a real street fight, you know, where they're just yeah. rolling over and punch, 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 roll over, punch, punch, punch. Yeah. It's not that good, though. No. On their feet, Benoit telegraphs a back body drop, and Jarrett catches him with a swinging neckbreaker. Jarrett executes a vertical suplex, and Tony tells us that we're going to get an update on Ric Flair later on in the show. Oh, all right. Jarrett chokes Benoit on the middle rope until Jet makes him stop. Then he drops his weight across Benoit's back and struts around to some booze. Benoit headbutts, punches, and chops his way back into things. He levels Jarrett with a clothesline and then chokes Jeff on the rope while punching the back of his head. Jarrett takes him down and they brawl on the mat some more and then get to their feet where Jarrett floors Benoit with a rainmaker. Jarrett starts attacking the knee to set up the figure four, but Benoit dodges one of Jarrett's elbow drops and takes control. Now, when you said that he levels him with a rainmaker, is that a clothesline? Yeah, he did, but he did the same. The the I hold your wrist, oh, like okay. lariat. He did the rainmaker. I'm sure there's another name. Oh, um, but since they've removed the move section of Wikipedia, I didn't yeah. know a great way of looking it up. Oh, I thought you were just adding a little pizzazz to your play by play. No, no, it was he. <laughs> okay. He did the rainmaker. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> he picks Jared up and drops him gut first on the top rope. Shivani and Larry are talking about the big upcoming 60-man battle royal, and Larry says, if you've got 60 men, you're going to need 59 stretchers. It's going to be a hell of a battle royal, dude. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> every every single guy that goes out yeah, from it, guy one is just like, oh, we got to load him up. And, <laughs> and it's such an emergency, the ambulance has to, like, rush off. They can't treat him in one and, like, wait for another guy. They've got to get out of here. <laughs> right. They're going to have, like, this whole line, like, yes. like at the end of Field of Dreams, but it's all ambulances. <laughs> if you book it, they will die. Yes. Jared is now in the apron, and the two men punch each other from opposite sides of the ropes until Jared suplexes Benoit out onto the floor while never leaving the apron himself. Jared struts and doesn't see a surprising face enter the ring. Right now, well, they may not see Benoit anymore. Jared just suplexed them. To the floor that was like 10 12 feet whoa wait a minute hey it's sting where'd sting come from he is not sting is not 
Calling for the bell. Sting attacked him from behind. He a reverse team. What is this all about? I think he's went off the deep end, my friend. I think Sting has is, is lost it. He's cracked. Jeff Jarrett is out. A sneak attack from behind Sting. And, and you saw a woman. What's going on? We had no idea what brought this on. But the first time that he has actually come in the ring here on Nitro since the 16th of September. And the fans are absolutely stunned here. So is Benoit. Jeff Jarrett out cold. A sneak attack by Sting. We and we don't know about that guy. I don't know. Sting just disappeared. Him, but we know Jarrett's WCW. I think you should pick him up. I don't give a damn about him. Come on, Chris. He's WCW. We don't know who he is. Go ahead, pick him up. Help him up. Well, I guess maybe he's going to try to pick him up. I'm not so sure, but that's not the question here. That's not what we're wondering about. Should he help him up? What was the motive? With, you know, I can only say this, Larry, the look that he had. we got to take a break. Well, not now. Let's find out what's going on here. We'll sort all this out, fans. We'll be back on Nitro. Sting suddenly comes through the crowd and enters the ring behind opposing Jarrett. He grabs Jarrett and quickly hits reverse DDT. Now, we've seen Sting hit that move before in matches, but it's just been a move. It's never been a finisher. Yeah. Uh, it's very clear from the way it's presented here, and they actually talk about it later. Tanae makes sure to mention it as reverse DDT. Mm -hmm. uh, this is clear they're making this a big move. This is kind of when the scorpion death drop becomes a thing. Yes. Is this moment here. Mm -hmm. The crowd erupts, and I'd say it's about 80-20 cheers to booze. Benoit goes to get in the ring, but hesitates to confront the stinger. The bell rings, and the official result is going to be a Jeff Jarrett DQ victory. Sting leaves, and a confused Benoit and woman get in the ring. Woman tells Benoit that they don't know what Sting's loyalties are, but they do know that Jarrett is WCW, and because of that, they should help him. Benoit is reluctant, but eventually picks Jarrett up, although they almost wind up fighting again, just the act of any physical contact yeah. gets them all riled up, and, and uh, Jimmy Jet has to separate them. Jason Jet, Jimmy Jet, I don't remember now. Uh, Jet. Yeah. J-Jet. J- <laughs> Jets. Larry and Tony are stunned and confused about what this all means for Sting and his loyalties. Uh, it's probably a good time to interject, because uh, it is, you know, he came out, he attacked a WCW guy, mm -hmm. probably is worth noting... Uh, as we saw in that conveniently played replay before the match, because that, that replay explained why the match happened, mm -hmm. but it also helped explain this, because Jarrett was like, why did Sting f drop the ball on being the leader? Yes. So, like, he has challenged Sting in his promos. Mm -hmm. It's always been kind of thrown in, uh, like, amongst a bunch of other things that he's saying. Yeah. But, like, I get why Sting is pissed at Jeff Jarrett. Like, you just showed up yesterday. Leave me out of your mouth. Yeah, and... And I like I picked up on that right away when that happened too, and I was like, "Oh, there's that's some continuity." That's also showing that Sting is like he's lurking around, but he's paying attention. Yes, that's a good point because yeah, so far he's really only lurked. This is the first action mm -hmm. he has taken since taking on this dark persona. I also like the fact that Tony Schiavone said that Sting's not around, and this is like the earliest Sting has appeared on Nitro <laughs> before. <laughs> it, again, it seems like Sting's listed. He's like, "Oh, I'll show you." You won't even get through one match before I show up now. Jet raises the arm of an angry Jarrett as we go to break. Uh, so I thought the angle afterward was good. 
Yeah. Um, it was cool seeing him, Sting hit that move, seeing him get involved in the action. Like you said, acknowledging that he's aware of what's going on. I thought the match itself preceding it was surprisingly bad. Uh, Jared's, for all the things I don't like about him, he's a pretty decent worker, and Chris Benoit is Chris Benoit. Yeah. And this match just did not work. I, I just, I find that um that Jared doesn't really have this, like, next level as far as, like, you won't, you're not going to see him being intense in the ring. Sure. Like, like a, a grudge match isn't, he's still going to kind of wrestle the same way. Yeah. And I feel like that he's just, he just is not able to reach, match the level that Benoit does when Benoit is like in a grudge match. And so, yeah, it just, for the fact that they supposedly dislike each other or have animosity, yeah. you just, you didn't feel that really in the ring in this match. It felt pretty standard. And then again, it's just like, you know, with the appearance of Sting, you you forget all about how the actually actually the match went down. Yes, and uh, I think it does it it does present like an interesting uh, angle now as far as like for one thing, why did Sting attack a WWE wrestler? Right, and another thing is this going to in, in a way force the Horsemen to embrace Jarrett? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I love I love the story that he desperately wants to be their friend, and they might get like forced to accept him because like. Well, at least he's loyal to WCW. Right. And a woman being like, go on, go hang out with him. He's all by himself. (laughs) Yes, it is very much uh, shades of my mom making me and uh, my friend Brian Mayoral also include his little brother, Billy. (laughs) It definitely feels like that. (laughs) When we return, Tony tries to throw it to a video of Dr. James Andrews, the renowned uh, sports surgeon who did Flair's recent surgery, but he's interrupted by that same fan from earlier who still has his mysterious package. <laughs> I wish I had a mysterious package. I just got a regular old package. Right. I want to take my pants off and have someone go, what's that? <laughs> Do you? Do you want the reaction? Yeah, then I want M. Night Shyamalan to go like, actually, it was olden times or I don't know, whatever the fuck he does. <laughs> and they're all dead. <laughs> the fan... <laughs> a weird turn we took <laughs> the fan begs tony and larry to let everyone see what he's got and <laughs> oh boy i need to listen to myself as i read these things but doug dillinger and security escort him away with the envelope still in hand tony is about to continue when suddenly said envelope is slapped on the table in front of him before they finally drag the guy away this security is very subpar it's funny that they make the head of security a character and then r- routinely show him to be like an oafish lout who sucks at his job. <laughs> right. He's like the head of security at WCW events is like a known person. Yeah. Which in itself is really weird. It is kind of strange <laughs> the way they they like name dropping their crew a lot. They mention like directors and producers. Yeah. And Craig Leathers has been named on the show like several times and yeah which, which really i think is is better than it is worse like giving those guys like no, the, the, the representation but yeah and also it's like say i mean i i've always thought that doug dillinger was a pretty like a pretty cool guy but like yeah he does not look like the kind of person that's intimidate like professional <laughs> wrestlers the announcers continue to do a great job of selling this as real as tony just kind of mutters idiot under his breath <laughs> the second the guy gets too close, Larry just stands up like a like an old worker where yeah. a fan is getting too close, uh-huh. and he's just like, "Am I gonna have to like punch this guy idiot in the jaw to prove this is real?" Right, you know. So I really like the way that they reacted. Uh, Tony opens the package only after Larry incredulously asks if it's ticking. 
Larry is like making complete sense. Like, why the hell would we open this live <laughs> right. on television? <laughs> right. And he asks if it's ticking, and Tony just opens it. He yeah. doesn't even like, oh, maybe I'll check to see if it's ticking, <laughs> or if it's a leaking something, or anything. No, he just opens it. Inside, he finds a note. I got a package. I don't know. Is it ticking? No, it's not ticking. Fans, I'm sorry about this. Water's everywhere. It says, WCW, take a look at this tape. It played in Europe in 92 and was a hit. In 92? Piper wants Hogan. Play it. You'll see what I mean. Ken McDade. What? Well, Ken, we'll just give it to the truck and maybe try to play it sometime. Nevertheless, the Nature Boy Ric Flair undergoing surgery for the shoulder. He is down in Birmingham. He's been down, been, been down in Birmingham with... Uh, I'm all mixed up now. I don't even know what to say. Let's take a look at Nature Boy Ric Flair and his rehabilitation. Tony reads a note asking us to look at a tape that played in Europe in 1992 and was apparently a hit. The note is signed Ken McDade, which they specify like three times throughout the show. Yeah. So that's definitely a joke on somebody. I don't know who or it's like a friend of Bischoff's he wanted to shout out. They're they're getting him swatted somewhere. (laughs) Uh, it has to be a rib. It just there's no way that they like the way they bring up his name several times. Yeah, Tony dismissively says that they're gonna hand it to the truck and maybe we'll play it sometime. Oh boy! Yeah. Well, that's the end. We're gonna hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> Tony then introduces the video package about flare surgery, or he kind of tries to. He stumbles over his words, and Larry looks at him like, "What is wrong with you? Why can't you speak all of a sudden?" <laughs> They share, like, a funny, just awkward pause, and then Tony just goes, well, I'll just play the clip. <laughs> and then he looks down, and before it starts, you hear him just barely, you can just make him out go, sorry. <laughs> and I think I think he's playing off being flustered by the fan, and he's do like, I think that's uh, him being a good actor. Yeah. I don't think it was, like, him actually being sorry that he flubbed some lines. I think he was, like, really selling being out of his element, and it was just... Hilarious. A masterful performance by Anthony Shimani. <laughs> well, I mean, he's always like, whether it's a character or not, he's always come across as like a nerd. Yes. And and that's something like he, he's like super professional. So any so anything that diverts from that, he's like legitimately embarrassed about. Yeah. In Birmingham, Alabama, at the Health South Medical Center is Dr. Jim Andrews, world-renowned orthopedic surgeon. On several of the clinic walls hang a virtual who's who of pro athletes. Bo Jackson, Charles Bartley, Roger Clemens, the list is a mile long. Dr. Andrews is number one in the repair field. In his hands lie the future of Ric Flair's career. The injury to his left shoulder was inevitable. His injury to his shoulder is an accumulation of a lot of falls, and he had a complete tear of his rotator cuff. He put his schedule and his wrestling career even in front of his injury once he, he knew that how serious it was. The, the rotator cuff, of course, is the, is the muscle tendon unit that helps you raise your arm to get your arm overhead. And you see some little sutures that have been placed in this small tear of this rotator cuff in this illustration. There's been a detachment and a hole actually all the way through and through his rotator cuff. We then made an incision went right to that tear and put stitches in it and made drill holes through his arm bone and repaired that right back to where it came from to the bone. That rotator cuff takes about four months to heal, so it is a serious shoulder-type injury. In Rick's case, uh, he's lifted weights all of his life, so his rotator cuff was twice as thick as the average. 
with Rick's motivation. Uh, he's working daily, two or three hours a day in uh, physical therapy for rehabilitation. He'll be able to return to wrestling at an appropriate time and he will heal and, 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 and be able to come back. Well, I tell you, that's good news. Our thanks to Dr. Andrews, uh, a rotator cuff injury. Super 90s music plays and a deep voice narrator puts over Dr. James Andrews. He does a, the doctor does a very funny, like, turn to the camera. Yeah. Like the, hey, it's me. And he's got either boogers or nose hairs really sticking out of one of his nostrils. I watched it over and over again. I made a oh. gif. Yeah, yeah, I saw the, the gif. It's like one of those, um, like the intro to like a 90s show. Yes. And it's like, and also starring James Andrews. <laughs> He says the rotator cuff was completely torn. Uh, Ric Flair's rotator cuff, that is. Not his. <laughs> and explains what the rotator cuff is. He says that it should take about four months to heal and describes it as a serious shoulder-type injury. Hmm. That sounds very technical, Doctor. He says that with Rick's motivation, Rick should be able to make a full return to the ring. As we get back to the arena, Tony and Larry talk about all the great athletes that Dr. Andrews has worked on uh, as Malia Hosaka makes her way to the ring. Out to face her is Zero, along with her manager, Sonny Ono. Hmm. As we mentioned last week, Zero is better known as Chigusa Nagayo. She is 31 and was born in Omura, Nagasaki, Japan. She is trained in the All Japan Women's Dojo. For those who may not know, uh, All Japan Women's Wrestling was said by many to be home of the best wrestling ever. Like, not just mm -hmm. of that time or, or of women's wrestling, just the best wrestling, period, uh, in many people's opinion. Yeah. Uh, their heyday was the 80s and 90s. They're, they're kind of on the way, the decline by this point. Nagayo debuted for the promotion in 1980 at just 16 years old, uh, common for that organization. She didn't get much work over the next few years as the company was stacked with talent, but in 1983, she had a standout match against Linus Asuka, or Asuka, probably. In 1983, she had a standout match against Linus Asuka, which led to the two becoming partners under the name The Crush Gals. They began having good matches and gaining popularity, and in 1984, they released their first music signal, Bible of Fire, which sold over 100,000 copies. You said that they're successful as a duo, and then you just threw out a left field that <laughs> their success was by a music video. Uh, Well, so they were successful in music, but they were also wildly successful in wrestling they went on to feud with japan uh, all japan's top heel the best named wrestler of all time dump matsumoto oh yeah and her heel stable the atrocious alliance <laughs> yes. uh so this feud between dump matsumoto and the crush gals uh was like uh, this was hulkamania this was massive in japan they were huge 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 mainstream stars yeah uh the crush gals were gigantic celebrities in the country of Japan, the they would have like weekly television shows with matches between them and this atrocious alliance that would draw ratings of over like a twelve in Japan. So more wow. one in ten people in Japan was fucking watching <laughs> these matches. It was it cannot be overstated how big they were. In 1985, Nagao lost to Matsumoto in a hair versus hair match and shaved her head to the shock of audiences. In 1986, Nagao got her revenge with victories over Matsumoto, including a hair versus hair rematch. But also in 86, the Crush Gals broke up. Nagao toured the United States in 1988, working for Stampede Wrestling in Canada and CMLL in uh, Mexico, and retired in 1989 as 26 years old was the mandatory retirement age 
for the uh, wrestlers in All Japan's women's. Wow. <laughs> 26. 26. Mandatory retirement. And Get out of here, you. <laughs> and when did Diamond Dallas Page start training? <laughs> like 35, <laughs> <Right>. I want to say. <laughs> Uh, she had a couple of one-night-only returns in 1993 and 94, and in 1995, she founded a new promotion, Gaia Japan. Uh, we heard that mentioned by the announcers last week as one of the partners for this women's tournament. Yeah. They are doing pretty well, running monthly shows at Kirken Hall, and uh, have recently, recently in, in 1996 terms, has made a splash by signing the highly respected free agent Akira Hokuto uh, a couple of months ago. Zero is a new heel persona that Chigusa is using much akin to Hollywood Hogan, mm-hmm. uh, a comparison that works really well because in many ways uh, this time she was the Hulk Hogan of Japan. So uh, it's it's pretty comparable. So when I said last week that it was her first appearance ever as Zero, I'm not 100% sure if that's the case. It certainly was in America yeah, um, where she was never nearly as famous as she was in Japan, but it is possible. It's It's kind of hard to find right now. Um, but it's possible that she had debuted as Zero in Japan. Nothing I could find confirmed that, but it is a possibility. It's it's not like it's something that WCW cooked up and foisted upon her. Mm-hmm. This was like a planned part of her career. Uh, Larry, uh, he's just surprised that she's a woman, Yeah, which super cool. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he says a bunch of shit about that. Yeah. Uh, and here to call all the action is our own uh, gender-positive... Dave Amantor. <laughs> right. And I realized as I said that I don't want to, I'm not saying you're positive of people's gender. Uh-huh. <laughs> you allow people to define themselves is what I'm saying. <laughs> I have this, uh, this unique ability to look at a person and be like male. Yeah. You can, <laughs> you can identify how they self identify. Yes. <laughs> and then they're like, by God, he's right. Yeah. They're like, wow, I know that I present as physically female, but I do identify as male. Or, or someone's like, oh, I got to go home and rethink things. You're just the only person who's ever comfortable assuming someone's pronouns because you're <laughs> always right, no matter right. the situation. Yes. <laughs> anyway, now call this wrestling match. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, my first note was the fact that uh, that Tony confirmed um, and mentions that Zero was formerly named uh, Chigusa Nagayo, uh, which I the previous week, they just called him called her zero, so I had no idea if they were going to pretend that she was like a different character or not. But at this point now we know that they're like, Yeah, that her this whole backstory goes with the same character. Um uh, also I was really thrown off by Zero initially because it like her it's like her face paint is like so perfectly done. It looks like she's wearing a mask. Yes. And yeah, then yeah. and then at times I'm like, I, I can't tell if it's her eye real eyes or not. It, it's just it's a little unnerving. Yeah, sure. And uh <laughs> so I was a little bit focused on that, but um uh so the match begins with uh Malaya Hosaka hitting a series of drop kicks, which Zero just completely no sells. Yep, she does not have time for Malia Hosaka. By the way, this week uh Malia is spelled M A L Y A instead of M A L I A. Oh interesting. And uh um, Microsoft Word is really pissed that it, I spelled like that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm pissed too. I, that's not how it was spelled the last time she was here. <laughs> Believe me, I'm on your side. Um, Zero hits a suplex and a leg drop, but when she whips Malia off the ropes, Hosaka attempts a sunset flip. Uh, Zero sits on her, and it's one of those, like we saw with Ice Train, where it's just a complete disregard for the person underneath sort of sitting on. Um, then does a nonchalant cover for two before pulling Malia off the mat. Zero then hits Splash Mountain, and 
just like that, we get a quick pinfall victory in a match that's about like 90 seconds long. Yeah. And not only that, it's not even a good 90 seconds. It's kind of a mess until it just like ends. You want to hear a, a decent joke? Uh, you remember last week I mentioned that Dave Meltzer was like, I wonder if that's because the planes at Pearl Harbor were called zeros. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this week he goes, uh, I think what it actually means is zero is the amount of uh, her previous skill that she has shown in this tournament. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he's he, this kitten's got claws. <laughs> <laughs> I feel... I feel like Dave Meltzer would be the kind of person that like tells a little bit too complicated of jokes, <laughs> and it's like, see, the, it's funny because of this. His humor is a really interesting thing because he does not pick up on other people's jokes. Like he responds yeah. to them always as if they're like a serious comment, mm-hmm. but he is not above making a joke. So he understands like the concept of humor. He just he just can't. He's not a good or he doesn't have a good receiver of it. Yes. Ono and Zero celebrate with her belt. Uh, the Gaia title of whatever it is. I yeah, yeah. They, I. It sounded like when Tony mentioned it, he was making a guess as far as what the name was. Yeah, like well, the, especially Japanese promotions can be like, sure, it's New Japan Pro Wrestling, but it's not the New Japan Championship; it's the IWGP Championship. Right. So it's it's always like at best a guess <laughs> as yeah. to what their belt is called. Yeah. The crowd may be slightly confused uh, by why Ono and Zero are celebrating so well with her belt. Uh-huh. As before Nitro began, they filmed the Medusa Zero match that's going to be the next round of the tournament. Mm-hmm. And after Medusa beat Zero, uh, Zero and Sonny Ono broke up. <laughs> so the crowd has already seen the second round match and the breakup. And why they couldn't just do that after the show... I, I maybe they were worried they'd have people leaving the arena or something. I I think that's exactly the reason. <laughs> so that's uh the the crowd has got to be so confused. Ono snaps a few pictures with his disposable Kodak camera uh, because Japanese tourists do that. Yeah, see, yeah. That's a no, no. That, I, I caught on to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, it doesn't matter. He the souvenir that it's being filmed and he could just have that forever isn't enough. He has to have shitty pictures <laughs> printed out at home. Although, really, if you could. Wouldn't you wish you could see those pictures? Yes, actually, that's yeah. a good point. Yes, I wonder. I wonder if anyone bothered developing the film that he would like of these cameras that he would use. That's a good I, question. I I feel like nine times out of ten he probably forgot the camera somewhere. Hey, we might be uh, meeting him at uh, Fortune Bania, the event this year. He's going to be there with Ultimo Dragon. We should ask him if people developed those cameras and if he keeps those pictures. We should ask specifically about this night. Yes. On November 11th, 1996, <laughs> you were managing Shigusa Nagayo. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Why are you guys asking me to leave? I just have a question. <laughs> <laughs> sir, sir. S- sir. <laughs> I'm not even finished with the question yet. Tony then sends it over to a man that he says has been missed. A man Shivani calls the greatest interviewer in the history of the business, a man who has been on, quote, extended vacation from WCW. Hmm. It's only me and Gene Okerlund. Oh, him. He's right. back, baby. Oh, it's not. It wasn't Lee Marshall. It wasn't. <laughs> the greatest interviewer of all time. Yeah. Lee Marshall. He wasn't, he wasn't sending it over to himself. Big night force in many ways. One of the facts tonight that we have a very special welcome back to a man who has been really missed in world championship wrestling. He's truly the greatest interviewer in the history of our business. Welcome back to Nitro after an extended vacation. Mean Gene Okerlund. Gene, good to have you back. Tony, great to be back. I must owe you money. Diamond Dallas Page. <laughs> it looks to me, now I've been sitting back watching here for the last few weeks, and it looks to me, don't call me stupid either, but it looks to me like you're being courted by the NWO. 
What are you talking about? Can, can we go back and take a look what has happened recently here on WCW Monday Nitro? I, I want to just refresh some memories. It certainly looks to me like Hall and Nash, and we know about how far you all go back. Well, everybody knows that Nash and Hall, they both, I was affiliated with them a while ago. Here they are helping you for crying out loud. They're going after one of your opponents. It is clear as day to me and this capacity crowd here in St. Petersburg tonight. First of all, let's get something straight, Gene. DDP doesn't need anybody helping him in the ring today. Because anybody makes one mistake, that's all it takes. Bang! Diamond cutter. All right, you have now, it. Wait a second. You asked me about Hall and Nash. Yeah, I used to manage Scott Hall, and I used to tag team with Kevin Nash. But that does not make them in a position to be coming into my... Hey, well, wait a minute here. Gentlemen, I, I think you have your own show. You don't need our time here, certainly. What were you going to say, DDP? What I said was it doesn't put them in a position to be getting in my matches. Are you courting this, man? Hey, yo, Paige. Forget about the past. What you need to think about is the present and the future. Here's your chance to jump on board the Black and White Express. Come on in for the big win, because you, my friend, can be NWO for life. What about that? Pretty attractive offer, some would think, these days. So let me get this straight. You got, uh... You got like seven guys now. I'm number eight, right? Number number eight. Number eight. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Eight. You don't get it. You obviously don't get it. Everybody, hey, we could have came to you a lot earlier, but we didn't, and there's reasons. Everybody knows that professional wrestling is as political as it gets, and everybody knows that two doors down, shaking and having a party, is your buddy, Eric Bischoff. He lives two houses down from you. You go in there, man. You go in there. Are you trying to tell me I don't deserve everything I'm getting? Is that what you're all about, man? You don't think I didn't bust my butt every day down at that power plant? Wait, wait a minute, guys. Are we missing something here? Yeah, yeah, obviously, you don't get it. Don't get upset. We're not out here trying to, to, to disrespect you in any way. We were looking out for you. Hey, we knew. We came in here two desperados, bro. We came in here by ourselves. Yeah, Hollywood Hogan jumped on with us, but it took us a lot to convince him, and that shook up the wrestling world. And with the Hulkster, hey, we knew we were going to take this place over. But we couldn't come to you, man. You know we're buddies. We couldn't come to you we with the political. For you, man. We were looking out for you. See number four, number five, but number five and number eight. I mean, that's like totally different. Gentlemen, obviously, you don't get it. You're never gonna get it. Yeah, All right, thank you very much. We gotta sort this one out. The say you don't get it. Stay tuned. More Nitro when we come back here on TNT. Gene is standing in the aisle with Diamond Dallas Page and says, regarding Tony's kind intro, that he must owe Shivani some money. Mm -hmm. He's back with the one-liners already. Yep, back in mid-season form, baby. Gene asks Paige about being recruited by the NWO. Paige plays dumb, so Gene shows replays of what happened last week, uh, the whole incident with them uh, fighting Ice Train on behalf of Paige. Now, was it was it last week when um, 
when they were like doing the 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 diamond symbol as well out in the arena. I think was that, that was at the pay per view. At the pay per view, I okay. believe so. Uh, Gene even references Page's past affiliations with Nash and Hall, both of whom he managed in years past. Page says he doesn't need any help because if his opponent makes one mistake, bang, it's diamond cutter time. <laughs> Page acknowledges his history with Hall and Nash, but doesn't need. At which point he's cut off by Hall and Nash themselves. Hall says to forget about the past and that Paige should, should consider the present and the future. He explicitly offers Paige a place in the NWO. Paige is insulted about being asked uh, to join as the eighth guy. Mm-hmm. Nash says that wrestling is political as it gets, and they didn't ask him earlier because he lives two doors down from Eric Bischoff. A true fact, but one that the audience certainly doesn't know. So it's like playing a po- it, It's just treated as if, like, Everyone knows that Paige is best friends with Eric and lives a couple houses down. Yeah. And it's just another example of WCW treating us as if we're like part of their traveling crew and know all the inside dirt and rumors. Also, I don't feel like that explains why they wait until he was eighth. Wait until the eighth. It's like, yeah, we waited, but also you live next to Eric Bischoff. Uh, maybe because it would have tipped Bischoff off about this like insurgency. But of course, that doesn't make sense because Bischoff's going to be around. <laughs> Right. very very soon in fact <laughs> so yeah i i don't quite understand it's not a satisfactory explanation it's 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 like that classic is like oh he's diverting he's just diverting yeah. the topic page feels like they're implying that he hasn't earned his spot and that he only gets his opportunities thanks to his friendship with eric again touching on a very real nerve that was something that a lot of people said about page mm-hmm. and that he fought against his whole career Nash says that nobody wants to disrespect Paige, and they just want to convince him like they did earlier with Hulk Hogan. Paige is still insulted, and the outsiders get frustrated and just walk off. (laughs) There's no, like, uh, wrestling thing where they get mad and end up brawling. It's just like they kind of give up on this dumb guy they they can't get in their organization. And And honestly, uh, from an audience perspective, Paige is a moron not to join the NWO. Right. Like, look at how many people show up in those T-shirts. Not nearly as many people in 1996 are wearing a Diamond Dallas Paige shirt. Right. And also, it's like, he's been working hard, but, I mean, what what position in WCW does he have that he couldn't improve on by being with the NWO? Yeah. Like, he, he used to be television champion he hasn't been getting any shots of that title yeah i mean he has the the non-prestigious non-championship battle bull ring but i think that the the being an nwo could give him a little bit better than that yeah and uh i mean the only kind of way that you could really explain it or or that the one way in kayfabe you could have explained it that would have kind of worked is you could have had him turn face and refused to join on, like, the grounds of loyalty to WCW. Yeah. And the fact that they cheat and this and that. And I know he does that, too. But, you know, he could turn a new page. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> hey. Um, But, like, the fact is that it's just his pride getting in the way. The fact that... Mm-hmm. And 8 is eight is not that... Although, if... I was going to say 8 is not that bad. But if 8 is after Virgil... And after mm-hmm. Ted DiBiase, I guess I'd be insulted too. It's like he does he doesn't want to have this extra assistance, but he had a benefactor. Yes. Like a year ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh so we go to commercial and when we come back, Ray Mysterio Jr. is making his entrance. Uh that is actually because a couple of minutes are cut off from the show. Uh what's missing is Cyclope, who's Ray's opponent that we're gonna see in a second. Uh he actually on the show we they showed his entrance. Here he's already in the ring. Uh, the reason for that is that his theme song that they used 
was the same ripoff of Pearl Jam's Even Flow that they will give to Chris Jericho very shortly. Oh, and they're just like, ah, fuck it, just cut it. Yeah, <laughs> event with Jericho, eventually they just dub over with other music. Yeah, but for Cyclope, they just cut off his entrance completely, mm-hmm. uh, so that we just come to Rey Mysterio making his way to the ring. What's even more confusing is Rey Mysterio is making his way to the ring, and Sonny Ono and Ultimo Dragon are also standing by the ring. Yeah. So like <laughs> they came out, his opponents in the ring, but he's not affiliated with them. Mm-hmm. There's just like we come back to a lot of shit happening. Yes. And, and not only is Ultimo Dragon there, but he's there with all the titles. Yes. Uh, well, not all the titles, because uh, WCW was careful not to show the WWF Light Heavyweight Championship that is actually among the J-Crown's eight titles. Oh, I, I, mean, I mean, I remember that that is a thing, but I wouldn't have thought that WCW would even worry about that. I think after the lawsuit with the Medusa thing that they are uh, on high alert for anything that might get back at them like that. You know, I should have realized that there was only seven titles and not eight. <laughs> uh, Ray's opponents in the ring, as we mentioned, it's Cyclope. Uh, he is a luchador wearing black pants with a shirt of some kind of flame-colored tassels all over them. Uh, and his mask is a black face with a stitched-on mouth and a single eye, as this is Cyclope, Spanish for Cyclops. <laughs> it's a very goofy look. Yeah. Uh, Manuel Ortiz Partida is a 25-year-old luchador from Tijuana, Mexico. He debuted at the age of 19 in the local Tijuana promotions and later gained some traction in AAA where he teamed with Damien666 uh, as his normal gimmick, the gimmick that he's used all the way up until tonight when he switches to Ciclope, uh, which is something I think he only uses here in WCW. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Halloween. We've actually mentioned him on the show a few times as a guy who's teamed both with and against ray yep uh, usually it's like ray and conan against halloween and damien 666 um, but here for whatever reason i don't know if it's because halloween havoc is like a branded thing and and or maybe they thought a guy wearing a pumpkin mask year round was too goofy and a cyclops wasn't for some reason <laughs> i don't know but for whatever reason they made him come up with a new gimmick uh he is using Ciclope. He is one of the younger crew that is loyal to Conan and has moved from AAA to promo Azteca. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have like a, a ton of bio on him. That's really all I know. Other than that, uh, AAA does not own the gimmick, so that's not the question because he uses Halloween later in his career in other promotions, uh, just not in WCW for whatever reason. Uh, I was going to mention, since this is also the first appearance of the J-Crown Championship, I was going to give you a list of the titles that are in that. Oh, yes, by all means. Yep. So, like you said, there is the WWF Light Heavyweight Championship. It also has the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship, the British Commonwealth Junior Heavyweight Championship, the NWA World Junior Heavyweight Championship, the NWA World Welterweight Championship, the UWA World Junior Light Heavyweight Championship, the War International Junior Light Heavyweight Championship, and some of these, I think, are just made up, and the WWA World Junior Light Heavyweight Championship. And these were all unified uh, back in August uh, in an eight-man tournament, which every competitor had a championship in it. Um, yeah, I think the original winner was Great Sasuke. Yes, and that was the match where he fractured his head. Uh, <laughs> th- we've talked we talked yes. about it on the show. I actually watched it. It was on New Japan World. Yeah, you can find that match where he fractures his head. Uh, so yeah, eventually the title makes its way to Ultimo Dragon. Um, if you're curious about how the WWF Light Heavyweight Title got drawn up in there it was not like something that was used in wwf it was like they mm. y- they created the belt and allowed it to be uh, named that 
but it was like for a Mexican promotion that they had kind of a working relationship with. Yeah. And then it seemingly WWF just forgot about it. That's that's the impression I got. Isn't and it, it traveled over to Japan and they actually when they institute a light heavyweight division to try to counteract the cruiserweight division, mm-hmm. they actually do request that title back. Yeah. And it makes it like becomes detached from the J crown and goes back to the WWF. Mm-hmm. It's so kind of a fascinating little story about that that belt. I think that's kind of interesting that such a the premier worldwide wrestling organization had a title they forgot about that just kind of traveled around and in a way was defended on a WCW pay-per-view because the J crown, uh, the set of belts is defended. So even if that belt doesn't come out and make it onto camera, mm-hmm. it's still being defended. Yeah. That's an interesting little piece of uh, Monday night wars lore there. And it, and it's also weird that like they, it seems obvious that there's quite a few years in which I forgot about the title, but then when they, brought it back they knew to contact new japan to have them stop using it so yeah you're that or it's like maybe it's more like they didn't care well they've got yeah they've got enough people that read the dirt sheet so probably when vince was like damn it i want a light heavyweight division somebody wanted to look smart and was like well vince we got one and we could just (laughs) you know right well vince there still is a championship (laughs) in new japan and he's like, oh, just get rid of it. Yeah. Whatever, whatever. I didn't want to do a full Michael Hayes impression, but that's who I'm picturing in my head. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> that, that could go in a direction. Ciclope takes control by working Ray's arm. They do some back and forth lucha, and soon Ciclope whips Ray into the ropes where Ray flips over them to the apron, uh, almost in crashing and burning along the way. Ray comes back in with a springboard head scissors that sends Ciclope to the outside. He then sends Ciclope into the railing with a tope suicida. Mark Curtis checks in with both men, who are fine, and Ray sends Cyclope back into the ring. Mysterio calls for a Frankensteiner, but his attempt at one is countered by the one-eyed man with a lariat for two. I just, I have Cyclope so many times in my notes, I'm going to have to come up with other things to (laughs) describe him. The guy who's not Mysterio suplexes Ray onto the ropes, (laughs) which puts Mysterio on the apron for Cyclope to hit a nice sunset flip powerbomb to the floor. Yeah, and also a very, like, not safe one too because he just is like yeah who cares (laughs) scramble his brain a bit he rolls ray back into the ring for a two count and the crowd is now reacting to something other than the match i was worried that it was the nwo coming out to fuck up the finish but it's actually dean malenko (laughs) so now between him ultimo dragon and sunny ono we've got a lot of guys scouting this one uh no real reason why dean is here since his match at the pay-per-view is against psychosis and Ray is against Dragon, who's already out here watching. Oh, all those guys in masks look alike to him. <laughs> That's a weird form of racism. <laughs> Mask blindness. <laughs> we get a top rope drop kick by Cyclope who, for another two count. Larry wonders if it should be pronounced Cyclops A. Tony says, no, that's not it. And Larry goes, oh, well, I was wondering because of the big eye in his mask. And uh, holy shit, does Larry not know that Cyclope is Spanish for Cyclops? <laughs> Was there like a pause there where his like brain was like click? He, it, I don't think it ever clicked. He's just like, <laughs> well, shouldn't they call him Cyclops? Eh, because the one eye. And Tony's just like, no. And he's like, no, he's got one eye. It's like a like a Cyclops. <laughs> no, no one else is seeing this. <laughs> am I am I going crazy here? Does no one see the one eyed wrestler? <laughs> Ray comes off the ropes and Cyclope tosses him high up into the air, and Ray crashes to the mat. Cyclope sets Ray up on the top rope and then DDTs him from the middle rope for a two count. Holy shit, we've got more people as Psychosis now makes his way out to watch the match from behind Malenko. So Psychosis is now scouting Malenko 
who is scouting uh, maybe Ultimo Dragon, who is scouting Rey Mysterio. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. it, well, I mean, Psychosis is scouting the back of Malenko's head. Yes, that's true. I don't know what he plans to learn from this. <laughs> right. Also, we, I, we're starting to learn that uh, Psychosis, out of the ring, is a very poor dresser. Yes. Yeah, what is he? It's like a striped T-shirt, right, and some jeans? No, no, he has jeans on and a really oversized, like, white T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tony says that Psychosis just standing behind Malenko proves that if you're the champion, you should, quote, always look behind you, never look ahead. Which begs the question, why wouldn't challengers just then start sneaking up on you from the front? <laughs> right. Like, maybe keep your head on a swivel would be a more appropriate metaphor. <laughs> Not just always look backwards. <laughs> I don't see how you, how you can become champion even that way. Cyclope hits a gut-wrench powerbomb for two. He then slows things down with a chin lock. Ray escapes and hits a spinning heel kick. He follows up with a quebrada, but Cyclope catches him in midair for a tombstone in a very nice spot. What? What is a... A quebrada is when you do like the um, lion salt, but you're just kind of like bouncing into somebody. Like it's basically like uh, a lion salt, but picture the guy standing up and you like just crash into him and then take him down. Oh, okay. But instead they, he crashes into it, but Cyclope catches him and then you're just in tombstone position. Yeah. Okay. So it, it looks really great. Cyclope heads the top rope, but Ray drop kicks his ankles out from under him and Cyclope crotches himself on the top turnbuckle. Ray hops up to the top rope and takes Cyclope all the way down to the floor with a head scissors to a huge reaction from the crowd. Uh, it doesn't look that bad for Ray, who grabs the rope on his way down and kind of sits on the ring mm-hmm. before he bumps the floor. But Cyclope takes a crazy bump, just like flipping off the top turnbuckle down to the floor on his back. Yeah. <laughs> Both men sell on the ground for a bit as Tony and Larry worry about the potential injuries moves like that could cause. Ray rolls Cyclope... Ray rolls Cyclope back into the ring where he hits the springboard Hurricanrana for the win. No time to let that sink in, though, as we immediately cut to Malenko, who is turned around and noticed Psychosis. Psychosis just shrugs and ambles off to the back. And Malenko just watches him leave. I guess he made his point, which is that if they were just... Uh, I guess he made his point, which is, like, he can stalk Malenko. Mm-hmm. But, like, they're not going to have a stalking. They're just going to have a match. Like, he's Malenko's going to know where Psychosis is when they yeah. have a match. Psychosis is like, you know, as champion, you should be always looking behind you. <laughs> yeah. Haven't never you, in front of you. <laughs> haven't you heard that old proverb? <laughs> right. <laughs> I thought you were supposed to be some kind of cerebral wrestler. <laughs> right. Ray tells the camera that he's ready for anybody and celebrates, but Sonny Ono and Ultimo Drago seem unimpressed as they pose with their many belts. We see replays as this match was our Pet Boys Power Pin of the Week. <laughs> I thought that was a fun... Uh, that's like sort of the the standard level I expect for a cruiserweight match. Mm-hmm. It wasn't better than that standard, but it wasn't worse. It was good. It had some crazy spots. Uh, it was a good introduction and showcase for Cyclope, even though like you're still making Ray a big focal point of the promotion right now. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I thought it I, it did it did all of its jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think of the match? Yeah, and it just I think week to week I'm always marveling at uh, kind of the recklessness of these wrestlers. Yeah, <laughs> just not only for themselves but like for their opponents too. You know, like Cyclope just powerbombed the shit out of Bray Mysterio with not a lot of regard to how he was going to land with that powerbomb. So. Um, 
but no, I, I thought it was a, it was a good match. Um, I mean, these guys clearly had a, like a chemistry with each other. Um, and yeah, it was like a good, and I, and as much as it was kind of like a clusterfuck of a whole bunch of people, yeah. I liked that there was at least a focus on the cruiserweights and that there was like, oh, right, there's more than just Malenko and Rey Mysterio, right. you know, and these guys know each other. It's not just like Malenko's opponent of the week or Rey Mysterio's opponent of the week. Yeah. And also, if you have a wrestler that currently holds eight titles, you should have a walk around with eight titles. Yeah, it's just so weird the way that like that was introduced as as a thing that happened during commercial break. Uh, although, I guess in the cutoff portion, we don't know. Maybe they had a full entrance for Ultimo Dragon where they explained why he's got so many belts. Right. So it, it, it's something that could have made sense had we the full context yeah. of the original broadcast. After a commercial, Tony plugs WCWWrestling.com, but also mentions that last week someone was vandalizing the website. Ooh. WCW's crack online security team is looking into it, and uh, we see the website with the message, we are taking over the WCW website. Uh, gee, any guesses who might be taking over something owned by WCW? Right. And also, I was like, is that... That's their definition of vandalism is like someone typed a like a header on the one, top. Yeah, one little sentence that doesn't get in the way of anything else in the entire page. Because <laughs> right. they're like, we need you to vandalize it, but also this was a lot of work, so yeah. we don't want to have to <laughs> fix this afterwards. Uh, yeah, we're going to hear a little bit more about websites uh, both later on in this broadcast and in our worldwide episode. Oh, so look forward to that. Sweet. Tony continues hyping the rest of the show, but the crowd is giving mostly booze to something which turns out to be NWO picket sign holders who are making their way down the aisle. Behind them come six, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. What? What? Oh, for crying out loud. What? Take a look at look at the entranceway. The NWO, they are now, we've just seen these guys in the stands, and now these yokels are coming out hey, here. Hey, hey, DiBiase got his NWO in the house. Punks on parade. I, the Outsiders, six. What's that in his? Okay, everybody, listen up. That's a. What is that? This Saturday. This Saturday. The Outsiders and Hollywood Hogan are heading out to the left coast for the Cable Ace Awards. Exactly, yeah. Because everybody knows the NWO is the reason that TNT is the hottest show on cable. We want to make it NWO Monday Nitro. Count Shabani, how you doing? Hey, you Mr. Doing? Mr. Hall, Mr. Nash. Wow. Wow, look. It's the living legend. Yeah, and I wouldn't push my luck oh, either. Oh, I thought you'd be bigger. Been watching you since I was a kid. I thought you'd be thicker. Been watching you since I was a kid. Please, hey, let's, you just let's shut not, your mouth. We'll bring you let, out of retirement. I'll point that finger, let, punk. Let, let's not start anything, Lisa. Go ahead, guys. Like I said, Saturday in L.A., Hello. the Outsiders, Hollywood Hogan, coming for the Cable Ace Awards. Tell Brad Siegel we'll be returning this to him and tell billionaire Ted to get ours ready. 
Because everybody knows the NWO is the reason for the success of Monday Nitro. Our website went up tonight. Check it out. You smell something, it's us. Because we're the stuff. Is this on? This is on, huh? You got a point, big man? I like this because you look important. Yeah, I got a point. How you doing, Count Shivani? Good. Hey, Larry, Thank good you. to see you. It's a nice outfit you got on there. Get a <laughs> cup of soup with that? Anyway, <laughs> the other point is, hey, everybody knows that since we came here, Nitro's the hottest deal going, right? right. Yes. Now, in war games, if I'm not, correct me if I'm wrong here, but in war games, in war games, now, they told me that uh, we had some uh, stipulations that we won would be, uh, you know. Right. And we beat them. And we be and we did beat them. Right. So the deal is this. You know, this Saturday show that you guys give us this little segment to appease yeah. us. Each and every Saturday. Yeah, sure. last week you told them to get snacks during it. I watched it at home, and it wasn't very funny. But the thing is this, okay? The thing is this. The Saturday show's fine. No. In a couple of weeks, we get our full production crew together, and Hollywood's working on it. Ted DiBiase's working on it. The Giants got some connections, too. We got this thing down. I'll tell you right now, Monday Nitro will become NWO Nitro. We want this no, show. No. Yeah, we want this show. So you guys need to get in the soup line or whatever. You got about two, three weeks. Get in the soup line. Go ahead, sell the houses. Get your nice double wide. There's some nice ones right up the road here. Go to the land or somewhere. Get you a nice little double wide. Because you know what? NWO for life, and that's correct. The takeover is almost complete. Soon to have our own show. Ladies and gentlemen, please join us in a few weeks for NWO Nitro. Check us out on TNT live this Saturday. Cable Ace Awards. NWO coming at you. All right, we, we got to take a break. Are they going to take over this, this hour of the show? No chance. Fans, we're going to be coming back. We understand with the second hour. Not funny. Not funny. Six is holding a Cable Ace Award. Hall says that this Saturday, the Outsiders and Hogan are headed to the Ace Awards. Hall says that they want to make it NWO Nitro as they make their way to the announcers and uh, ruffle up Shivani a little bit. Hall sarcastically addresses Larry as the living legend and Larry bristles. Hall says he thought Larry would be taller, and Larry says he thought Hall would be thicker. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, easy now. Okay. Uh, it is like, it's a little, that's a little seed that's being planted of some issues between those two men that are going to become a bit of a story. Uh, okay. Hall talks a little more about how great the NWO are, etc., and plugs their new website, nwowrestling.com. Then he says... Quote, if you smell something, it's us, because we're the stuff. <laughs> it's like a weird like preview of what The Rock's catchphrase is going to be <laughs> and Buff Bagwell's catchphrase <laughs> is going to be mashed together in a way that makes no sense. Hmm, I smell stuff. <laughs> I wonder if it's the end. Yo. Now, if you want to hear all about, and I, I just teased this a second ago, forgetting that I had a better tease in my script, uh, but if you want to hear all about what you would have seen at nwowrestling.com in 1996, make sure to check out our Worldwide Edition episode that'll go up next week. Ooh. Kevin Nash has Larry's headset on, and he addresses Count Shivani because <laughs> he's wearing, like, all black. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. And compliments Larry's outfit before asking Sabisco if he got a cup of soup with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Tony loses it and yes. just completely laughs over that line, showing no like idea that he's physically threatened by these big guys <laughs> right. or anything. He's just cracking up because they insulted Larry's stupid shirt. Right. <laughs> Nash says that at War Games, the NWO won some rights and privileges, but they've decided that their segment on Saturday night is just not enough. And in a couple weeks, they're going to be getting a full production crew together and taking over Nitro entirely. Hmm. Nash suggests that Tony and Larry sell their houses and move into trailers somewhere. He doesn't exactly say why. <laughs> I'm thinking the idea is that they're going to do their own announcing and it's going to be so good that Tony and Larry are going to be out of a job. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what he means, but it, it, without the context, it doesn't make a ton of sense. Or maybe he's just like, no, this has nothing to do with anything. You guys yeah. should just move into a trailer yeah, somewhere. Just, I'm just in real estate advice. <laughs> Hall does one more plug for the Cable Ace Awards, and we head to a commercial. We come back to some hour two pyro, and after a few moments of silence, we hear Bischoff asking where Tony and Larry are. The idea, I guess, being so mad after the NWO thing that they walked off. Uh, so they didn't where they weren't there to toss it to Bischoff like they normally do. Mm. Uh, but it's kind of weird because we came back and like the pyro was going. So at that point, why wouldn't Bischoff? It just made no sense. It's yeah. like Bischoff, if this were real, he would have just started talking there. Plus, if it were real, uh, he would have noticed during the commercial break that the other guys weren't there. Right. Surely right. they would have said something at one point. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Eric, Bobby and Tanae are all ready to go. And we're in to hour two. As the announcers talk about this planned takeover by the NWO, out comes Scott Norton. Eric puts him over as a big star in Japan and an arm wrestling champion who once beat the great Cleve Dean. (laughs) (laughs) Just throws it out there like a thing we all should know. Right. Everyone knows Cleve Dean. He finally toppled the Cleve. The Cleaver. (laughs) He's been cleaved. uh, He is big. Oh, oh, he's been cleaved. Uh, I looked up Clean Deve, and this dude was huge, a legit 6'6 and well over 300 pounds with some of the hugest hands that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know that no one gives a shit, but I thought this was interesting. His prime was in the 60s and 70s, and he was so great that he just got bored and retired, like, completely on top of the sport. Okay. Uh, But then he gained 300 more pounds (laughs) (laughs) and then decided, uh, well, I'm a huge fat guy um, having health problems. Maybe I should slim down and get back into arm wrestling, which he tried to do in 93. Uh, By 96, he is still kind of doing his comeback and working very hard to lose all that extra weight. Uh, looks like he's managed to do it. By the end of his life, he was not a 600-pound guy. He was just a huge guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and both Dean and Norton appeared in Over the Top, Sil- Sylvester Stallone's 1987 love letter to arm wrestling. <laughs> it was a passion project of Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, this one was important to me because of arm wrestling. Hey, listen, we got to get Cleve uh, Dean got Cleve Dean over here. That's the worst impression I've ever done. <laughs> my Charles Barkley was a thousand times <laughs> better than my Stallone. Um, hi, man. We got hi. <laughs> hi, Cleve Dean. <laughs> hey, you got Cleve Dean over here. <laughs> uh, Cleve Dean, a, a rumor was that he was uh, supposed to be the original like end boss of uh, Over the Top, but that it just didn't. It would be too in- unrealistic that Stallone could beat this massive guy. Yeah. I don't believe that. I think that's probably something Cleve Dean put out there. <laughs> right. But it was a uh, thing I read. I like, I like that he, you said that he was a supposed something and there was a pause. Yeah. And so my the wheel starts being my mind. Yeah. And I'm like, 
the third man. Oh yeah, there we go. It was gonna be Cleve Cleve Dean. Dean. <laughs> <laughs> just going. You know who that is? <laughs> My God, that's Cleve. It's Dean. Cleve Dean. <laughs> the old Cleaver is here. <laughs> Tanae talks about New Japan Pro Wrestling's recent tag tournament and how Norton's team won. Eric says as tough as Norton is, his opponent, Lex Luger, who makes his way to the ring, has all the momentum right now and is going to be tough to beat. And here to call all the action is our own Cleve Dean. Yes. Dave Amantorp. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> Scott Norton's hair is something else. Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's like when when you talk about a mullet, you talk about business in the front. Mm-hmm. Like his is, it's the business is like really down to business, but he's <laughs> right. still, but it's still a little bit of a party in the back. It's like uh, I'm convinced that when he was in Japan, he was trying to tell someone that didn't speak English what a, a mullet was, <laughs> and he's like, "Fine, just that's it's fine. Yeah. It's no, it's fine. Yeah, I, I'm I'm good. Go with it." So while the first minute of the match is basically Norton and Luger in a test of strength, we get a promo from Arn Anderson, who again is going to be facing Luger at uh, World War III in a few weeks. Yeah, I don't think we knew that before tonight. I think that's new information that they're having a rematch. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I don't recall it being mentioned on the show before. All right. But they, they, So they are, yes. Uh, Norton catches Luger with some clubbing forearms and then a backbreaker. We miss some more of the action as we cut to Sting in the arena, who looks kind of goof. He does a thing where he is like he's watching and contemplating what's going on, and he strokes his chin, and it's oh, really yeah, yeah, it's yeah. really goofy. And yeah. I really want someone to make a gif of that. Yeah, I think uh, people underestimate how goofy Steve Borden is. <laughs> right. Like, and it's especially during this period because when he's not talking, it's easy to forget how weird his promos can get sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he's a, just a strange guy, I think. He's a real goofball. <laughs> uh, back in the ring, and Luger has not been distracted by Sting's presence as he clotheslines Norrin over the top rope and to the floor. By the way, we don't get any sort of explanation as to why this is not a disqualification. Apparently, the referee is going to allow this. Norrin drags Luger out of the ring and chops him, then capitalizes on a mistake as the total package clothesline gets nothing but ring post. Norton throws Luger back in the ring and stomps away as we go to a commercial break. When we return from the break, we see Norton is focusing on Lex Luger's now injured arm. Norton continues to chop away on Lex as Bischoff says Gene Oakland will interview the winner of the match, which pretty much tells you what the end result is going to be, because I don't imagine we're going to be getting a Scott Norton interview. (laughs) As if on cue, Norton misses a corner splash, which Luger follows up with a side suplex. A series of clotheslines with Luger's healthy arm gets him a two-count only. Norton recovers, but his top rope attempt gets nothing but ring mat. Luger then lifts him up for the torture rack and gets the submission victory. Pretty standard Luger match. Yeah, uh, yeah. Not too long, which is always good. Like the, um, I remember his match with Greg Valentine kind of dragged on yeah. and dragged on. Yeah, he didn't sell too much here. Um and I liked he he very easily got the uh, torture rack up. Yes. Yep. Because they've been doing this thing where like they are sending all their biggest and baddest guys, mm-hmm. looks wise anyway. Maybe not the way that these guys have been booked necessarily, but right. the guys who look the most impressive and scary. Mm-hmm. They've been throwing them all at Luger and having him beat them. And uh, 
it's mixed results whether he can get them up easily or not. And this one, uh, probably a lot of that's got to be Scott Norton helping out and just going up the right way. Yeah, and, and and Luger doing the right thing and not being like, should I still try to sell the arm as I'm picking them up? Right. Which is like, just no, just yeah. do it, just do it. <laughs> yeah. No one cares. Um, so, I mean, it's it's also nice to have Norton on TV. I mean, he really didn't get to show a whole lot besides chops, and so we didn't get to see a lot of his impressive strength or anything like that. So, um, It's a weird thing for Scott Norton to come and go from his own country where he's like he definitely slotted in the middle and he's never going to go very far above that and right. he'll probably go in below where he's at right now. Yeah. Um and then just go to Japan where he's like a big fucking deal and he's feuding with the champion. He just tag teamed with the champion and now he's going to have a match against the champion. Yeah. And like New Japan it's it's not a small thing. This is not like a it's not like he's going over there and doing the indies and it's like mm. this thing. he's he's a big deal over there. He's going to be uh, one day the IWGP champion. Yeah, which is what a weird dichotomy. Uh, one thing uh, I like during the match, Eric welcomes Mean Gene back. It was nice for him as the executive uh, vice president or the executive producer. I think is his title at this point. It was nice for him to take a moment and and welcome Mean Gene back. Yeah, I mean, especially since it apparently might be in a little contentious contract negotiations. So sure. The fact that he is like, okay, we're that we're past that now, and we're ready to say get back to broadcasting. The crowd celebrates and we see replays. At the broadcast booth, Eric keeps putting Luger over. Uh, he is getting a ton of love from the announced team tonight. Asked who he thinks will win World War III, Tanay says Luger certainly has to be one of the favorites. Mm-hmm. Heenan says that his pick is Dean Malenko, who he says has the right size and attitude for this kind of match. <laughs> I guess, like, low center of gravity? I don't exactly know what the size is that I thought, like, just you're just a smaller target. That could be. That could um, be blended. I mean, I like I like the attitude thing. Yeah. Like, there's going to be guys that are going to be coming to this match that are just like, eh, whatever happens. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> One of those many, many people that are going to be sent out on a stretcher afterwards. Eric says maybe Sting could do it, but there's questions. Uh, but there's certainly question marks surrounding Sting right now, and we see a replay of earlier when Sting attacked Jeff Jarrett. We then go to Mean Gene, who is in the ring and joined by the total package. All right, Eric, uh, I'll tell you what, what a time for me to return to WCW Monday Nitro, things topsy-turvy as we go into World War III. Now, Eric just made a statement, Lex Luger, if anybody knows Sting, you do. You've been very close with the man, both personally and in the business world. Can you make heads or tails of what this man did tonight earlier on? I don't have any more answers. Anyone else? I hear a lot of people in the building just now before we came back in there saying we want Sting. Well, a lot of people want him, including myself. And the buildings, he's Phantom of the Opera, nowhere to be seen except out of the crowd. I said before, no calls answered, no messages answered. A lot of people are saying Lex Luger's been on a roll as of late. I said what I'd do to you, Arn Anderson, and I did it. I've wrecked some of the biggest and some of the baddest. WCW has to offer, but this isn't about individual accomplishments. This is a lot more at stake here. WCW is at its darkest hour. We got NWO with the world belt, the NWO with the tag team straps. We got the NWO wanting their own show. I'm holding on to the end of the rope as tight as I can, treading water. I've been trying to carry the WCW banner. 
but it's more than one man can do. It's too much weight on my shoulders. And Stinger, if you're somewhere in the building or if you're listening, I sure hope you are. I made a mistake in not trusting you. A lot of the fans here and out there made a mistake in not trusting you. We're sorry. We need you, and we want you back. Don't do what you're doing. All right, you know, I've sat back for the past few weeks, uh, either in a living room easy chair or perhaps at a sports bar. This man has got a point. He has been carrying a lot of WCWS of late. Stay tuned for Monday Nitro when we come back. Gene says that if anyone knows Sting, it's his friend and business partner, Lex Luger. Unfortunately, Lex says that he doesn't have any more answers than the rest of us as to why Sting did what he did earlier. Lex just wants Sting back, like the fans do. Lex says that he's been racking the biggest and baddest WCW has to offer, but this isn't about individual accomplishments. WCW is currently in its darkest hour. Lex says that he's been trying to carry the WCW banner, but it's too much for one man, and he needs the stare behind him. <laughs> Lex admits to a mistake in not trusting Sting and begs the Stinger to come back. Gene sends us off to break, and it's uh, very nice to have Gene back. It's just, it's, I love how, it's, it's such a step up from Tanay or Lee Marshall or Shivani kind of doing double duty on the show. Yeah, and, and also I felt like, um, he does a better job of like corralling the guys around him. Yeah, I think that if he if he had been around, that um that attorney guy wouldn't have been like just going off on all those like ridiculous jokes of his. Yeah, you know if they just had someone that's like okay let's 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 bring this back around. Uh, and I thought I thought that Lex was fine here. Like, it's kind of a funny promo because he sounds like a guy who cheated on his girlfriend who's just begging her to like <laughs> right. take him back and forgive him for his sins but right uh but like the delivery and the content was fine and no like weird lugarisms it was just straightforward he he got it out there and it was fine mm -hmm. we have a commercial break and we get back eric has got word from the production truck that the tape given by the fan earlier is interesting and they have decided to air it later on in the show <laughs> the, it's interesting it's interesting they really emphasize that word interesting i always i love these things where eric is trying to tease us and the way that he makes it sound as if the the production truck is teasing him as if they would get in his ear and be like eric we've watched the tape it's interesting <laughs> right and he'd be like well what's on it and they'd be like we can't tell you we'll play it later in the show and he's just like okay <laughs> he's always like Sting maybe in the building. I'm I'm hearing there's something going on backstage, and then 15 minutes later we go backstage, and in none of that time did they ever say like, oh, it's uh Randy and Sting attacking a limousine or or like whatever happens to be going on that week. Right. He's always getting such half information mm -hmm. that it's like, why did the person telling you that not have more information to give you? It's it's crazy. It's like he has like some manual about how to be a boss. Yeah. And one of them is like. Only ask one follow-up question. <laughs> yes. No matter what they get, move on. <laughs> and unfortunately, his follow-up question is always, what'd you have for lunch? And he's always like, oh, fuck, I used it. God damn, damn it. it. <laughs> I really wanted to know what was on that tape. <laughs> but I really need to know what he had for lunch. Yeah, pastrami, huh? Yeah. Oh, hey. First, uh, before we get to anything interesting, though, instead we get a Lee Marshall road report. And this week, Lee is at a Monday Nitro party in Florence, South Carolina. 
He claims that some of the fans in Florence have a nitro club and have made their own club jackets. Just blatantly lying. <laughs> that's that's what the these segments are so amazing because they're just bullshit lies. Yeah, he's definitely just calling in from backstage, and he's <laughs> right. just like, "I'm in South Carolina, and somehow find found guys in nitro club jackets." I'm surrounded by all my friends right now who tell me I'm the coolest dude around. Uh, they can't come to the phone right now, though. <laughs> They're too busy partying. Lee says that tickets are still available and that he has to run to go judge a Bobby Heenan lookalike contest. Nah. Oh, Canada plays and out come the amazing French Canadians alongside their new manager, Colonel Robert Parker. Wait, what? <laughs> Literally in my notes I have, wait, what? <laughs> It's, you know, it's like it's only once a match starts that I figured this out too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was like, because amazing French Canadians are coming out. I'm half paying attention to their entrance. Sure. So I didn't realize that Colonel Robert Parker's like with them for yeah. some reason. So in our worldwide edition episode last week, I ran through the syndication results, but I just read who beat who. Mm-hmm. So I was unaware that during a match between these same two teams on Saturday night. Parker came out to ringside to cheer on the Harlem Heat, only to get scolded by Sherry as the Heat had asked him to stay away from their matches for a bit because he kept (laughs) fucking them up all the time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Parker ignored their request and ignored Sherry scolding him and got on the goddamn apron again. (laughs) That woman is on the goddamn (laughs) apron again. Uh... So Sherry pulls him back down off the apron before he can screw things up, and she just decks him right in the face. Uh, her loyalties are to the Harlem Heat above her uh, husband <laughs> right. or boyfriend. Uh, fiance? I'm not exactly clear. I don't remember how that all planned. They were going to get married, and then they didn't. I don't know if they ever tied the knot or not. Yeah. I don't think they did. I thought there was a point where she was clearly like, I'm done with you. And then he just, like, shows up again because they don't know what else to do with his character. Well, they're done now because she punched him right in the face. And then right he, in the face. He took off his coat and wound up to fight Sherry uh, like he was just going to punch her back, which <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, but the Harlem Heat bailed on their match in order to beat up Colonel Parker instead. <laughs> uh, so I guess he just looked around at whatever other tag team was closest and decided he's managing them now. <laughs> Because uh, so yeah, he's just the the manager of their opponent from that match, the amazing French Canadians. Of course, it makes no sense. This southern fried, uh, <laughs> right. like, um, plantation owner character yeah. and the amazing French Canadians, whose entire thing is that French Canada is better than everywhere else. <laughs> right. I mean, what happened with uh, Bunkhouse Buck and Dirty Dick Slater? Are they are they are they not around anymore? Oh uh, well, Dirty Dick Slater is in Rough and Ready. I think it's Bunkhouse Buck who is. Well, why isn't he? <laughs> Although I think we will see Bunkhouse Buck as part of the sixty man battle royal, but we'll be there. We'll get Ooh. there in two weeks. We'll find out. Ooh. Eric says that he had a good talk with Roddy Piper earlier today, and things are a little better, but they still need to meet in person soon. Uh, we then get replays of all the stuff from Saturday night that I just mentioned. And then it's time for Harlem Heat versus the amazing French Canadians. And here to call all the action is our own Quebecois. <laughs> Quebec. <laughs> yeah, Quebec. Oh, 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 my God. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Yikes. As soon, 
like I'm not really worried about offending French Canadians as like a race of people or anything. Yeah. They're not like an oppressed minority, but I was I was just really leaning into that too much. <laughs> that was you were just offending yourself with that. I went full Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> I just never go full Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> uh, here's Dave. <laughs> right. Bail me out, please. <laughs> right. Oh. All right, so the amazing French Canadians attack Harlem Heat before the bell, but the Heat are quick to, but the Heat are quick to turn the tide, focusing their attack on Carl Olet. The match is cut away from as we see the Nasty Boys trying to get into the arena. Back to the action in the ring as all four men are fighting again, as we have had very little in terms of an actual tag match, and now we get a split screen as Doug Dillinger. Mind you, the same Doug Dillinger that couldn't just get one nerd out of the arena <laughs> calmly convinces the Nasty Boys to leave. Yeah. I make a note that this is riveting to watch. Yeah. Because the camera's far away, you can't hear them, and everyone is being very, very calm about the situation. Yeah. <laughs> just, there's nothing worthwhile to it. Meanwhile, Sherry is in the ring now. She just, like, gets in the ring for some reason. So that's where we're at there. Meanwhile, the Nasty Boys run into Ed Leslie and are so talking weird. outside about something. Yeah, they're trying to get in the arena. Dillinger won't let them. And then they just run into uh, the booty man, although he's not in booty gimmick. Yeah. We have not seen him forever. We have not seen him since before. Well, like Hogwild when he got attacked. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Because he was gone around the time that Hogan left. Mm-hmm. Um, after like uncensored or whatever that was that he left. Yeah. Uh, and then he came back and he did the heel turn. And then Leslie made one appearance afterward trying to suck up to him at Hogwild. Yeah. And we haven't seen him since. And for some reason tonight, the same night that the Nasties, who also tried to suck up to Hogan and got beat up. Mm-hmm. So they're going to form a little uh, click, a little faction of like pathetic assholes who have been made to look <laughs> like chumps by Hulk Hogan, their real life friend. <laughs> It's like uh, last week, Ed Leslie was watching Nitro, and he's like, there's two guys that are even more pathetic than I am. I should come next week and try to become their friends. (laughs) We're going to make the No Hogan Club. It's it's No Hogan's Club. We can have one. We got Brooke back here. (laughs) But wait, I see Horace in there. Uh, He's Horace Boulder. It doesn't count. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) anyway we finally get back to the ring and Colonel Robert Parker is also in the ring and is like fighting with Sherry and we just get like a DQ on both teams and this whole thing was a complete waste of time yeah it was stupid and it's I mean I don't know they want to make sure that the Nitro fans are up to date on this Parker Sherry story I don't know I did like uh, Sherry while being restrained by the heat screams I'll kill you. Yes. She is very much into her parts. Right. Uh, we even get a Sherry chant break out in the crowd oh. uh, in support of her wanting to murder Colonel Robert Parker. I feel like a lot of fans uh, believe in that sentiment, too. <laughs> Not me. I love Colonel Parker. <laughs> right. We go to commercial, and when we come back, the Dungeon of Doom uh, laughing music is playing. They love coming back from commercial and having the dungeon music playing, I've noticed. Mm-hmm. That's like a real one they, they stick by. Out comes Conan, carrying his Mexican heavyweight championship. 
Uh, this is a new belt, though, as we've talked about the split from AAA and his uh, trashing of their heavyweight title belt, which was previously the stand-in for the Mexican heavyweight title. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually forgot to add this to my notes, but I went on Twitter and I just asked uh, the Twitter populace what this belt was, and I happened to tag him uh, in the tweet, not thinking he would actually respond, but Conan, a uh, lovable man that he is, yeah, uh, or just a friendly, friendly wrestler, he, he's he's. I noticed pretty good at Twitter at actually getting in there and interacting with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he replied like a day later, and he said that that was the uh, I was AWAS, which you can actually see that on the title kind of. Yeah. Uh, stands for International Wrestling All-Stars. It was a promotion that was run by a guy named John Arezzi, who's kind of a famous like wrestling periphery figure. He ran like some small promotions. Mm-hmm. I think he worked with Vince Russo on their newsletter at one point, I think, or maybe some kind of radio show. I know he had radio shows at different points. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was on, on Twitter as well and confirmed, like, yep, that was the title, and he tossed out the guy who made it. Uh, so it was kind of a cool moment on Twitter to ask who made this belt and have, like, the promoter and the guy carrying it both be like, oh, it's this belt. Yeah, which was uh, helpful because I, I tried – to like look it up as much as I could, but it's really hard to read because I thought it was going to be another war championship. Oh, sure. And so I was kind of going in the wrong direction of trying to look up the belt. So yeah, look from what I could tell international wrestling all-stars was a promotion that Rezzy formed for like to kind of do tours of parts of the, the world that aren't often like have a lot of wrestling. Like he went to Southeast Asia and he had like Jake Roberts, Medusa, Conan, uh, the Road Warriors, I think. I might not be positive on that. But he like just sort of got guys that were free agents or weren't being used somewhere at the time uh, who were still like big names. Those are all pretty famous people. Mm-hmm. And then he toured these kind of underserved areas. But he also would do shows in like the New York era area. So it wasn't like a regularly occurring promotion, but it was something um, that was like a legitimate promotion and a belt that, that Conan did defend sometimes. Some guy, a follower of mine, who was not trying to be rude or anything, was saying, like, oh, I think that might be one of those titles that Triple H just made up for Conan. I think Conan kind of took that the wrong way yeah. and scolded this guy a, a bit. And not it wasn't fully necessary. Like, it didn't mean anything negative by it. Uh, but this was, like, a title that actually was defended and, and mm-hmm. had some legitimacy. Uh, in oh. His opponent tonight is an up-and-coming young athlete who is full of babyface fire, Chris Jericho. <laughs> babyface fire? That's a phrase. Oh, it, it just made it sound like his face was full of fire. Like, <laughs> ah, my baby ah, face. Uh, so flammable. Baby face fire is like in uh, Home Alone when you shave and then use aftershave and you're a little kid. So it hurts really bad. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it always hurts really bad, but you actually vocalize that because you're a child. Yeah, because nowadays you just got to tough it up. Yeah. You Even just, when you're by yourself. You just, just like, shove that pain down. <laughs> just like my divorce. <laughs> I'm not divorced. I just, <laughs> you're not. You're, you're not, are you? Yeah, as long as I'm wearing this ring, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, wait, you're not. Are you scooping your own divorce? <laughs> I decided to tell everyone here on the podcast. Right here with a big boy's plane. <laughs> in talking with uh, Kelly, you got to listen to this week's episode. There's some <laughs> right. information in there you're really going to want to hear. Classic stuff. Yeah. <laughs> in talking more about Piper and Hogan, Bischoff says that it will be the war that will settle the score that never got settled before. And holy shit, guys, you have to stop shoehorning that in. <laughs> right. Just let it be a new thing. 
Oh, boy. They're like, okay, well, that rhymed. How do we add more words that still rhyme? Well, but it's like Hogan at Halloween Havoc said it was a war to sell the score that didn't sell the score, which is like, it's a yeah. dumb thing to say. Yeah. But they're like, oh, we should run with that. That thing that Hogan said yeah. that didn't make sense, <laughs> we're going to run with it. Well, maybe this is what they had come up with and Hogan didn't remember it. So he came up with that worse version. Right. And Bischoff's like, no, it still will work. Like, we're still <laughs> using. <laughs> no, it's still good. It's still good. Conan starts off the match with some weak-ass punches. <laughs> the two then do some running the ropes, dives and flips, lucha stuff, as Tanay tells us that Jericho cut his teeth in Mexico and tells us all about Jericho's dad, retired NHL player Ted Irving, to follow up on the comments made last week by Nick Patrick's lawyer, Alan Sharp. We see some hockey cards uh, of Irving in split screen as Conan floats over Jericho in the corner before receiving a jumping spin kick from the Lionheart. Conan gets an arm drag, but Jericho follows up with a lariat for a seemingly slow two-count from Nick Patrick. Jericho beats Conan to the outside and tries for a slingshot plancha, which Conan avoids. Conan follows up with a big clothesline before rolling Jericho back into the ring where he hits a somersault sent where he hits his somersault clothesline before locking on a weird neck-focused submission. Jericho fights his way out, but Conan soon hits a big powerbomb for two. He tries an arm submission for a bit, and then Jericho takes a running dropkick in the corner, but sidesteps a running clothesline and hits a released German suplex. Eric shouts out his good friend, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Steelers linebackers coach, Mike Malarkey. <laughs> Uh, they both lived in Minneapolis around the same time when Malarkey played for the Vikings, so maybe they met there, or it could have been they met through Kevin Green, who, of course, played with the Steelers uh, mm -hmm. and started showing up, uh, played for the Steelers when he started showing up on WCW television. Uh, Malarkey still coaches in the NFL to this day and has been the head coach of several teams, of course. Bischoff decides to talk more about his NFL connections and shouts out Kevin Green, who he says he's going to call soon about some business. Jericho is now firmly in control with kicks, elbows, and such. He rolls Conan up for a two. He puts on another weird bridging pin, and Conan weakly kicks out before Patrick even counts. Eric is upset about some fans in the front row who are wearing what appear to be homemade NWO for life shirts. They're obviously homemade. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe they're plants, though. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. They're definitely not, like, store purchased or something. But Yeah, I thought... For fans, they, they were kind of they were really well executed. Jericho tries an Irish whip, but Conan, who is completely blown up by this point, <laughs> reverses in slow motion. <laughs> Conan whips Jericho into the ropes, then leapfrogs over him. Jericho runs into Nick Patrick, who is standing directly in his way. Conan then dropkicks Jericho from behind, and he bumps again into Patrick uh, pretty gently both times. Mm -hmm. Patrick then calls for the bell, disqualifying a stunned Jericho, much to the annoyance of the announce team. Uh, so that is going to be, we just go to commercial. There's no more follow-up, but that is going to be uh, development uh, in the continuing trials of young Chris Jericho dealing with this awful referee. Uh, hey, at well, least it's, it's getting him on TV every week. And uh, we didn't have Alan Sharp, at least. So that was a plus, I'd say. Well, just wait, wait for it. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of matches that Nick Patrick could be a referee for tonight. So now, what did you think of the match? I thought it was fine. It wasn't good. It, it was yeah. just very average. It was like a two and a half star down the middle match. Yeah, I yeah, I really didn't. 
you know, I didn't get much out of it. And it just, sometimes it's when you see a Conan match and you're like, dude's just not putting in the effort today. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's hard to get too invested when you, when it's clearly one of the guys, especially the guy that's probably going to get like the majority of the offense. Yeah. It's not invested in the match either. We come back to the show from commercial and Eric very hurriedly tells us that during the break, Jericho confronted Patrick and then the bell's ringing and two guys are already in the ring going at it. One of them is Juventud Guerrera and the other is a newcomer to WCW, Miguel Perez Jr. Miguel Perez Jr. is second generation wrestler Miguel Perez Jr. Oh, from Puerto Rico. Okay. At the time of this show, he was 30 years old and was born in San Juan to Miguel Perez, a huge star in Puerto Rico and a pretty big star in the northeastern United States, where he wrestled often at Madison Square Garden. Uh, Miguel Perez Jr. is only here at WCW for a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. He's, he's barely around, uh, so I'm not going to do too much on him, but he has had a pretty interesting career just in terms of where he's wrestled and against whom. Uh, this guy is not really known that well in mainland United States, but already in his career, he's challenged Ric Flair for the NWA heavyweight title. Mm-hmm. He has wrestled and won against Abdullah the Butcher. Okay. He has toured Japan and faced Antonio Inoki. He's been in tag teams with Owen Hart and Chris Benoit, facing the likes of Jushin Liger, Mil Mascaris, and Ricky Choshu. Okay. He's wrestled in AAA and CMLL, and he has had several matches in ECW, and by next year, uh, mere months away, he will be in the WWF. I was about to say if he was going to be part of Los Puricas. Yes, he is uh, indeed part of gang warfare, faction warfare, whatever they call that shit, uh, yeah. over in WWF. And yeah, he's part of Savio Vega's uh, Los Puricas. Because uh, I was I was like, those hairy shoulders are sure familiar. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this guy, uh, like, I don't know what it is. I don't know if he's an asshole and people don't want him to stick around or if he just has the wanderlust, if he's just a kind of guy who never can get comfortable in one place and likes to go spot to spot. But like he's had decent success in those, but he's just all over the place. And, and he's here for, I think it's like four matches and two of them are tonight. Oh. Uh, well here to call all the action is our own <laughs> guy. <laughs> Dave Amendorp. Yeah, I made a note that it seems like they're rushing for time as uh, actually Guerrero sprints to the ring and drop gets Perez before the <laughs> bell. Yeah. They're told, like, you get in there. You fucking get this going right yeah. now. <laughs> and he sure does it. The two exchange moves until a Miguel Perez roll-up is reversed into a headlock, which Guerrero immediately releases. He then chops away at Perez. Perez hits a clothesline in the corner, but a whip to the opposite corner is reversed by Guerrero, whom it hits a missile dropkick. Perez recovers quickly, hitting Guerrero with a Russian leg sweep, then a forward flip off the middle turnbuckle. He then hits a backflip for two. Guerrero drop kicks Perez out of the ring, then hits a plancha off the top turnbuckle. Guerrero sets Perez up onto the barricade for her Karana, but Perez counters into a brutal sounding powerbomb onto the arena floor, yeah. which is not even the first one tonight that's done by a Mexican wrestler. <laughs> These guys hey, are just... Hey, he's Puerto Rican. All right. Okay. Ooh, oh, I called you uh, out. You are canceled. <laughs> you, no, Dave Amatorp, no! have been canceled. Oh, it's been a good run. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Uh, Perez follows up with an acai moonsault over the top rope and to the floor. Uh, I believe that was actually a space flying tiger drop. Is that one? That was a, yes, that is a move invented by the great Sasuke. Oh, man. If I knew that was the name of it, <laughs> I would have I would have written that down for sure. Back in the ring, Guerrero flips out of a tornado DDT and slams Perez into the corner, setting him up for the 450 splash. However, Perez moves out of the way and then just kind of casually rolls up Guerrero for the pinfall victory. Yeah. I feel like no one was really paying attention to this match. Yeah. It just seemed like it was like the ultimate filler sort of match, and yeah. and and I guess I as fans like we don't know who Miguel Perez is, right? Or if we should be invested in him, which apparently we shouldn't be. Yeah, we shouldn't be, which is too bad because I think he looked great. I really actually liked this match. It was, uh, I mean, they jammed too much into the time yeah. they were given, but that's they were just trying. You I mean, know? My, my first appearance of him, I don't expect much out of him athletically. Yeah. But he like he's like flipping all over the place too and and hitting the whatever on earth you call that move. Space flying tiger drop. <laughs> the space flying tiger drop. Yeah, I thought Miguel Perez Jr. looked awesome. I was like, damn, this match was good. I wish that this match had been like nine minutes. So that they could yeah. have let these spots breathe a little bit and done a little more selling instead of just like uh, 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 spot, uh, uh, you know, just like they're rushing from spot to spot. But uh, I, just, I, I really liked it. I thought it was good. Guerrero runs to the ring and <laughs> drop kicks him as fast as he can. I, I've never seen a match so desperate to start as yeah. fast as possible. But if if that was like their cue, I mean, kudos to Juventus Guerrero by pulling it off. Like yeah, a hundred. He's like a thousand percent into whatever they told him to do. Afterward, Perez's music plays until someone interrupts over the PA. It's Ted DiBiase who is standing in the nosebleeds where Sting was shown earlier. Virgil is standing alongside with him. DiBiase addresses Sting. He thanks Sting for attacking Jarrett. He points out how Sting is already wearing black and white, and they want to offer him an official and. Ind- and they want to offer him an NWO shirt to make this thing official. They wait around for him for a bit, and we just go to commercial. Yeah. <laughs> just When we come back, they're gone. They didn't wait that long. Well, it just... Why did they have to rush this match yeah. and then have, like, just a promo that doesn't... Like, there's no point to it. Yeah. The, the pacing of the show has a lot to... There's a lot to be desired there. Like I said, we love returning from commercial to the Dungeon of Doom music, and we do so again with the Faces of Fear making their way to the ring along with their manager, Jimmy Hart. I was going to say, when we heard it earlier, that I was like, you know, why doesn't the Dungeon of Doom change their music to something that's like a little less like gimmicky? Yeah. But that's really all there is to their gimmick. Like, if you get rid of that song, there's no other point to Dungeon of Doom. Yeah, it's just... That's the only thing they are now. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. Their opponents are the American Males, and Eric mentions that these two have not been on the same page recently, as we saw in their single matches, their singles matches last week on Nitro, and again on Saturday night when some kind of miscommunication between the two led to a loss to the team of Juventud Guerrera and Psychosis. The Males seem to have put it all behind them tonight, though, as they come out all smiles, poses, and jokes, and they get some very sparky shower pyro when they reach the <laughs> ring. I just... I'm just amazed of, uh, of of how obvious it's become in l- recent weeks of how inflated Buff Bagwell is getting. <laughs> He's uh, getting a little big. Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Thank you. Yes. Here to call all the action is our own puffed up Dave Amantor. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
It's the worst version of a Dave Hammond <laughs> It's a puffed up one. Again, everyone seems to be in a hurry to make their dinner dates as the faces of fear attack the males before the bell. <laughs> the males rally back, hitting both Barbarian and Meng with stereo dropkicks. Eventually, we get to the match starting off with Meng and Bagwell. Meng quickly tags in Barbarian, but Bagwell no-sells the tag, and Meng has to basically he has to pound Bagwell into the corner of forearms before going back and tagging Barbarian a second time. Yeah. It's kind, it's kind of weird because it's like, why does Meng care if Bagwell yeah. <laughs> sees the tag or not? Yeah. It's just kind of an odd moment where it's like, no, he clearly tagged him the first time, and then right. he's like, he's got to do it over. But either way. Barbarian lays out Bagwell with a huge power bomb, and it should be noted both American males are still wearing their vests. By yeah. The way. Speaking of weird moments, there's something here where after that power bomb, Marcus just starts yelling something at him. Maybe like, "Ow, don't power bomb me so hard, please." <laughs> I don't know what, but then Barbarian just stands there and yells back at him. They just have like a little chat in the middle of the match. <laughs> I mean, he, uh, I mean, he should know that like. That's Barbarian's, like, thing. That's, like, his big, the big right. move that he get, really right. gets into. So if you're in there with Barbarian, you're going to get powerbomb pretty hard. Uh, there's another thing that I think is is early on in the match. Do you have um, the thing about Heenan? Do you have the thing about Eric talking about how many movies Piper has made? No. Okay, because I went on a deep dive on this. So, <laughs> so okay. at one point, Eric is trying to talk about who's, like, a bigger entertainment icon, Hogan or Piper. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, you know, Hogan's made a few movies. No one's seen those. But Piper's made, it's either, he was like, someone told me it's either 21 or 31 movies. One of the two. Mm-hmm. So I looked it up. Uh, he's actually been in about 15 movies. Uh, so not nearly as many as Bishop's making it sound like. Yeah. Uh, one mm-hmm. of those movies is called Immortal Combat, which I think is funny. Oh, I, th- I think I've heard of that before. <laughs> uh, he does have a lot of television appearances, though. So maybe if you include maybe if you include all of his credits, you get up to twenty one or thirty one. Oh, you think he's cooking the books on that number? It's definitely not twenty one or thirty one movies. It's not even close to either of those. Ming is back in and he chokes Bagwell, and I can now conf- <laughs> I can now confirm that Scotty Riggs has shed his vest. <laughs> he, I mean, he shed it like he's a, a, a snake. Yeah. Uh, Barbarian is back in and Bagwell rallies back with a clothesline. Then Ming clotheslines Bagwell. Then Riggs clotheslines Ming. <laughs> Bagwell finally tags in Riggs, who has drop kicks. Drop kicks for everyone. <laughs> Riggs whips Barbarian off the ropes, and Bagwell trips him from ringside, which was a mistake as it leaves Riggs out to dry with a drop kick. Ming sneaks in and just creams Riggs with a mafia kick, just drills him, and Barbarian covers him for the pinfall victory. Bagwell attempts to get into the ring. But he kind of has like this look of like, well, it's kind of too late. I'm too far away. Yeah. It's already at two. So there, it's kind of like if you're going for like that kind of subtlety thing, it's like I'm showing the appearance that I want to help, but I kind of want to see him get pinned too. Yeah. So I uh, I really I liked the ending a lot. I thought it was like a clever play on the miscommunicating yeah. between tag partners because because it's Bagwell. He means well. He yeah. just didn't he didn't like fully assess the situation. Immediately after the match, the males kick rocks and Jimmy Hart joins his clients in the ring and he gets a live mic. Total domination by the faces of fear is Ming and Barbarian. They stop, stop the music! Stop the music! Get his jacket off. I've got something I want to say, man! Shut up! What I want to know, 
to the executive committee in the back back here, how in the world, in World War III, can the Nasty Boys have a title shot against Nash and Hall, the Outsiders, who currently hold the WCW Tag Team Championship belts, if the Nasty Boys aren't in the WCW anymore? They're still under contract. The number right. one contenders here in the WCW are the faces of fear for the Dungeon of Doom. So I'm asking the executive committee in the back, do what's right. Why don't you make this a triangle match? Make it any kind of match you want to make it. But give the faces of fear a chance to bring the WCW tag team titles back where they belong. You know what? He's got a point. But he does. He's got a point. I never thought I'd see or be a part of the day when we would agree with the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, but... Uh, but he's got a point. Got Jimmy Hart demands to know why the Faces of Fear don't get a title shot at World War III, but the Nasty Boys, who aren't even with WCW anymore, do? Bischoff quickly clarifies that the Nasties are still under contract to WCW. But it I mean, his argument still makes sense. Why would they be giving a title shot to this yeah. team that they're disgusted with on a weekly basis? But, but if they're still under contract, why could they not get into the arena? Yeah. Yeah. Who? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Hart asked the executive committee to make things right and make it a triangle match by adding the Faces of Fear to the pay-per-view. Eric says that Hart has a point, so let's assume that that is going to be the case. Yeah, I would think so. Or is it they're going to look like wimps for not adding them into the match. At the broadcast booth, Eric brings us back to the tape. The interesting, mysterious tape. <laughs> it's interesting. He says the note left by Kenny McDade, who he name drops specifically again, <laughs> right. says that this video played in Europe in 1992 and was a hit and somehow proves that Piper wants Hogan. Finally, we roll the tape. Tell your lies Honey, that's your plan I'm your man 
A brief title card tells us that this video is from Sony Music Entertainment for a song called I'm Your Man, performed by Rowdy Roddy Piper. Wait, what? It was released on October 31st, 1992. On, ha- on Halloween? <laughs> yes. I don't know how big Halloween is in Europe, though. Because this, uh, like the note from the fan said, this legitimately was like for the European market. I don't think this was something that was like ever they ever really released in America. And that's one of those things when it comes to like pop anything. Yeah. If it's like this is goofy as hell, but it's really big in Europe. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, no, I believe you. I, I, I have no doubt yeah. about it. Now they were telling the truth that it was in Europe. They were not telling the truth that it was big in Europe. Oh. It did not really. Uh, go anywhere that I could as far as I was able to find oh uh so this uh I played an audio clip there that you just heard if you want to hear the full thing and see the video the entire video is on YouTube uh so please if you want to like see this before you hear us break it down by all means go ahead and bring it up on your YouTube and if you if you don't ever watch it you're doing yourself a disservice because it is amazing it's something else it's it's I mean like I spent the time just like enjoying it yeah and also wondering like i thought that Brody piper would be above things like this yeah because it, it not only is it like a pop song but like everything about it is just like he's trying to recreate himself as like a teen sensation yeah of sorts and it's just really weird because he's like <laughs> way too old for that yeah. role so it's a very uh, early 90s video. You heard the music. So just, I mean, you can imagine what the video for that music sounds like. And that's what it looks like. Yeah. Uh, Piper's like. By the way, oh, you, you can't just hear the music. Yeah. Watching him sing it. It's so weird. It is disconcerting. Yeah. That You just got to watch it. Uh, Piper's working out in a gym uh, that's intercut with him singing into a microphone in like an empty theater. Like that's <laughs> how they're recording the song is they brought him into a big empty theater and he sang. <laughs> Occasionally, we get shots outside the Hollywood Bowl Amphitheater, where the marquee reads Roddy Piper versus Hulk Hogan. Those shots are like really quick, but you can definitely read that. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah, it's pretty apparent. Piper is shown uh, having a little beach date with a lady. They're driving around. They're having fun at the beach. There's a dog there, as you do. He puts seaweed on her shoulder and she <laughs> freaks out. Eventually, the lady turns up in the empty theater where he's singing. They make eyes at each other while he sings to her. Uh, Towards the end, he goes on a very weird monologue, which includes the line, quote, I can be anything you want. I could even be your milkman. But this ain't no half pint you're dealing with. I'm a full load. (laughs) Takes a real turn at the end. (laughs) Right. I'm a full load. Oh, boy. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so it's like uh, you really just need to see it for yourself yes it's it's something else uh it's a terrible way to get a baby face over in 1996 i i swear this is like they are just mocking him with this aren't they like the things that have changed from 92 when this is made to 96 like the 90s was all about like sort of irony and and being too cool and like irony sort of took the place of earnestness this is a very earnest music video. <laughs> right. And it just makes him look like such a cheesy asshole. Yeah. Uh, it's good that Rowdy is as big a star as he is, because I think this would have just buried a lot of people of smaller stature than he is. I don't think we're going to see, like, long-term effects or, like, rejection of Roddy because of this. But, oh, my God, what a terrible decision to show this on the show. Th- I mean, this, to me, feels like a very extravagant rib. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I just don't see any other per. I mean, 
Yes, they point out that he's looking at that like marquee that says Roddy Piper versus Hogan. Yeah. But I, I one thing you could you don't need something like this yeah. to convince us that like I, I thought Piper's uh promos alone have ha, or the one promo showed enough of like he has animosity. They yeah. have animosity towards each other. <laughs> yeah, my immediate reaction afterward was like, I don't understand at all what any of that was meant to prove. Like, I don't get how that figures into the storyline. Ri- story mm-hmm. But Eric apparently is much smarter than I am because he has watched that same video and he demands to see still images of a couple moments. Piper looking up at that aforementioned Hollywood Bowl marquee and then the advertisement of, quote, the ultimate bout between Piper and Hogan. And from this, Bischoff and Tanae have deduced and are convinced that Piper has spent at least the last four years fixated on a match with Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Now, that doesn't make sense, even within their own storyline, uh, because their storyline is that at Halloween Havoc, Piper asked for five minutes to talk to Hogan, and that he only came out and warned him, like, stop being such a prick. Yeah. And when Hogan was like, okay, I will, Piper was fine to just leave. Yeah. He didn't demand a match. He didn't right. try to fight him. He just said, okay, good. And then only when Hogan started insulting his kilt and his history and his status as a legend, etc., mm-hmm. did Piper, like, get angry. And even then, he didn't challenge him to a match. Bischoff has spent two, three weeks trying to convince, begging him to have a match. Yeah. And is told, like, oh, well, his lawyers are getting in the way. If Piper had been dreaming about this match to the point where he was putting subliminal messaging in a music video <laughs> half a decade ago, yeah, don't you think he would tell his lawyers, like, I don't care, just get this deal done? Yeah. The claim that this video proves anything about Piper's intentions is ridiculous. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. Yes. The announcers luckily aren't given too much time to make themselves look like idiots discussing this as Hollywood Hogan's music interrupts and out comes the champ along with Vincent, DiBiase, the giant, and Miss Elizabeth who is in a sexy Santa outfit. Yeah. Oh, uh, right. Santa with muscles. Santa with muscles. Yeah, I was wondering because it's we're still a good, I mean, it's mid-November. We're a ways out. You you don't break out the sexy Santa outfit until you wear your sexy turkey outfit for Thanksgiving. <laughs> As you do. As you do. <laughs> right. Hogan gets a mic and asks for his customary spotlight. Hogan says that everyone has the Christmas spirit because Santa with muscles is wiping everybody out at the box office. Uh... Would you like me to fact check that, Dave? <laughs> yeah, I would. Santa with Muscles opened over the weekend and got 15th place at the box office with $120,932. Hmm. That is more than $850,000 less than the number 14 movie, Independence Day, which was in its 19th week in the movie theaters. Fair enough. It's also over $34 million less than the number one movie that week, the also debuting Ransom, starring Mel Gibson, oh, right. who is Almost as big a Hollywood icon as Hulk Hogan is. Almost. And uh, from 1996 till now, both Mel Gibson and Hulk Hogan remained beloved, cherished members of our society. (laughs) 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 Things uh, don't look too great at the box office next week either, as Hogan just might get outshone by another athlete who is testing their crossover appeal on the Hollywood uh, silver screen. When Michael Jordan's Space Jam will open. 
Space Jam. Now, which is better remembered by people? Is it Santa with muscles or is it Space Jam? Space Jam. Space Jam. <laughs> Hogan claims that he's fielded phone calls from Godfather director Francis Ford Coppola and mm. Steven Spielberg mm. and says that his movie is going to be number one eight to ten weeks in a row. Wait, that's what the directors told him? Uh, it's unclear if that's what he thinks or if that's what those guys told him, but it's <laughs> kind of left open to interpretation. Uh, in reality, Santa with Muscles will close after two weeks and will be the 253rd highest grossing movie of 1996. Wow. It's on the list. <laughs> uh, I I say all this like I'm proving that Hogan's an idiot. Like His character is that he's delusional about his Hollywood success. Like, yeah. This is all actually, it's actually good that he's saying this. I think it's like legitimately funny. And mm-hmm. he knows that Santa with Muscles is not going to be number one for 10 weeks straight. He's, that is a joke that he's doing on purpose. He is in <laughs> on the joke with us at this point. Hogan says that Piper doesn't want any of what he's got, which is the greatest entertainment package going on today. He says that he's the NWO champion and that Piper should bring his skirt. He gives the mic to DiBiase, who calls for Hollywood to entertain the folks, and for the third week in a row, the show ends with Hogan under a spotlight, posing to his music. These promos are containing less and less content every week. Yes. <laughs> like, he is doing all the same things, and he's just saying less and less, and it matters less and less, and I'm getting more and more bored with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel almost positive it's going to happen again next week, and the entire build to World War Three, the entire, like, four weeks of Nitros between the pay-per-views will have ended with the exact same thing. Hogan, music, spotlight, posing. Yeah. Boy, oh boy. Because it's a week later and, and nothing has advanced in the story. Right. He doesn't, he has nothing to work with that's new. It's kind of tough because they want to still center it around Hogan and this stuff with Piper. Mm-hmm. But World War Three is not going to feature that match. That match is uh, added, like the hypothetical match that they've talked about. They've never set a date for it, but yeah. they've not like made you think it's going to be at World War Three. Yeah, you, they've given no illusion that's going to be at the next pay-per-view. Yeah, so really the main event of the pay-per-view, as far as we know, is the the battle royal. 60-man battle yeah. royal. Um, and so they're not really building that at all? Like, mm-hmm. you know how with the Rumble they do some, like, kind of battle royally things or guys come out and they do promos about... Like, all the promos we see from guys are about their one-on-one matches or the tag team match that they want to be a triangle match, whatever. Yeah. No one has come out and said, I'm going to throw out 59 other guys and I'm going to be the number one contender for the title. Mm -hmm. Like, no one has has talked about that whatsoever. The most we got out of that in this uh, the last three weeks of Nitro was the announcers tonight when Bischoff just sort of asked them, who do you guys think is the favorite to win? And they talked about it for 45 seconds at most. Well, I felt like last week they did a good, like the announcers did a good job of bringing it up yeah. and talking about like, well, what if like uh, like someone random like Brad Armstrong wins and that'll be like the biggest opportunity of his career, that sort of thing, where they're trying to give the... That's true, you're right. They gave the idea that like it's all about like literally anyone could win this match and how they're getting people from all around the globe to enter it. But yeah. Um, yeah. I mean the fact that like the big names that, you know, are going to be in it. Like when Luger was being interviewed, I don't feel like he mentioned anything about it. No, he did not. 
or or the fact of like are any of the other nwo guys going to be in it to maybe block someone from getting the title shot like, right there's a lot of different angles to it where like you just feel like the wrestlers like the big names and the regular names would be talking about it because it's like it's an automatic title shot like that most wrestlers don't get uh so that's the end of our show uh overall uh, nitro anyway dave what did you think of this week's uh show uh well it's it it was like last week but just a little bit less than last week <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that we've kind of seen some diminishing returns here it's still mm-hmm. uh, every week i feel like i'm saying the same thing that like it was not a great show, but it was fine, and it did yeah. not feel like a slog. It did not feel like it was dying a death out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and same thing. Like, I think having those cruiserweight matches to just come out and do some crazy goddamn spots to just blow you away yeah, kind of just keep things, like, fresh and moving. Um, so I was fine with this episode, but, again, it was another one that is, like, when I'm... Uh, if we were six months from now trying to remember what the build for World War Three was, I'm going to be really scratching my head going like, what was happening back then? Yeah. Because none of this is going to stick in my mind at all. Right. Um, maybe the biggest developments we got were probably uh, just the confirmation of what happened Saturday night between the Harlem Heat and Colonel Robert Parker. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever the fuck's going on with the Nasty Boys and Ed Leslie, which we're going to have to find out what, what's um, going on there. Or, I mean, Sting... Sting attacking Jared. Oh, yeah. It was easy to forget because it happened in the first segment. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah. Sting attacking uh, Jared's probably the biggest thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll definitely want to see where that goes. Oh, and of course, uh, who can forget that we had mean goddamn Gene coming back to the program. That was huge. I oh, really yeah. Like that. Yep. So if our wheels are going to spin, I'm glad that Gene is here to at least tell me some funny one-liners as yep. we're staying in place. That he can... He can roll his eyes with us as we're kind of waiting yeah. for the World War Three. I will say this is a risky show in a way coming uh, the week after a guy almost got shot on Raw. Like, you'd maybe mm-hmm. be worried about some people like, oh, wow, that that's pretty crazy. What's going on over there? Uh, and maybe, like, raise the, the volume up on your show a little bit. I, but this is very much staying the course for Nitro. They played yeah, it very safe here. Well, I mean... It's very it's very reasonable to think that they looked at that as just being desperate too. I think if it were ninety six, depending on how old I was, uh, but I in reality I was thirteen. So let me put in a thirteen year old's shoes. If I was watching both these shows and I was uh, not watching wrestling in ninety six, um, but if I had watched if I had watched both these shows the week before or kind of like at least knew what had happened on both of them, I think I'd watch Raw this week. It ends up sucking. Like, we'll talk mm-hmm. about it in the Worldwide. Uh, it's not a good episode. Maybe I would have just eventually turned it to Nitro and, and gave up. But, like, coming out of the gate, I would have been more interested to see what happened uh, from the events of last week on Raw than what happened last week on the events of Nitro. Let me put it that way. Yeah. All right. Well, there's only one thing left to do before we wrap it up, and that is choose our segment of the night and our MVP. We're going to start with MVP this week, and I'll go first. Uh, my MVP is a guy who has never won it before and will never win it again. I gave my MVP to Miguel Perez Jr. All right. All I thought right. that that was a man who seemed like he was eager to impress and get a job here in, in World Championship <laughs> Wrestling. <laughs> right. uh, for whatever reason, that doesn't work out. He does have a dark match after the show against La Parca that's supposed to be really good, um, but it's not anything that's taped or that we'll ever see. So who knows if that's the case or not. 
but yeah, Miguel Perez Jr. He's he's a one and done for us. We're never going to see him on this show again. Only you know if we happen to be watching a Raw that we're talking about some week. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I think he stole the most of his opportunity. And again, it was another week where it wasn't there wasn't a ton of individual standout performances. So it was mm-hmm. easy for somebody to to jump in and nab that spotlight. Who yeah. was your MVP? Uh, well, I, I'll stick with the same match, but I'll go with uh, Juventud Guerrera. All right. Um, I I think that he did an admirable effort of uh, of uh, trying to get the best out of Miguel Perez. Which I mean, I'm not saying it's hard to do that. Yeah. But it just like he put a, a good effort into um, just helping the um, get a good spotlight on the new guy. Yeah. Um, taking that brutal power bomb onto the ground, um, and also the fact that. He sprinted to the ring and drop kicked him like right away was just like it threw me off so much. But I, I just I'm just like that's I'm never going to see something like that again. Yeah. And so I'm giving my mind to Hooventude. Uh, well, we are rewarding matches where a new guy was made to look strong and there was a crazy power bomb on the floor. I'm going to give my match of the night to Ciclope versus Rey Mysterio Jr. Where we also had those things. We had a new guy who was made to look strong by an established star. Uh, we had a crazy power bomb on the outside, and that match uh, got just a little bit more time, and thus it gets a little bit more love from me as far as match of the night goes. What was your match or segment of the night? Yeah, so my match or segment of the night, I'm going to give it to the Roddy Roddy Piper <laughs> music video. I knew you were. I, that's why I stayed away from it. I knew you were. <laughs> right. Because, <laughs> I mean... There's only one part of the show that after it ended, I went on YouTube to watch it again. Yeah. And it was the Roddy Piper music video. It's so, it is so bizarre, but it was also, I am pretty sure I had that song stuck in my head for like two days afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of it a lot over the weekend uh, as I was watching. It was like, well, I was watching some of these indie shows that I had ordered mm-hmm. uh, taking place over Mania weekend. I would just, I realized there was a song in my head and I was like, what song is that? I was like, oh my God, it's the goddamn yeah. Roddy Piper song. <laughs> It, and you and you find the best way to get out of your head is to hear it, right? Yeah, yes. Yes. It okay. just kind of gets it out of your system. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that is going to be all for this week, but we will be back next week as we go through our worldwide edition where we'll talk about the ratings. We'll talk about what happened on Raw. We'll dig through the dirt sheets and talk about what happened this week of wrestling, uh, November 11th, 1996, all the way through November 17th, ninety six check out that right here where the big boys play 20 years of nitro here's a cover by cyclope it's a two count that time sure it's not cyclops pay pay. the cyclops have that big eye yes just wondered thank you read this